you do. Hey, everybody. It is the Scene World Podcast. My name is AJ, and his name is it's not AJ. Yuck. Yes, it's Yurg. Yes. It's the Scene World Podcast. Yeah, you got to do the radio Exactly. <laughs> hey! Throw in some <laughs> sound, sound effects and... Ooh. Yeah. That noise. Right. Well, yes. that noise means it's this time of the year again. Gamescom <laughs> is approaching, and oh, we will be yes. part of that. So, mm-hmm. if you want to see us, we have a panel there on the 26th. Yes, we do. At um, 2 p.m. New York time or New Jersey time, and that's Eastern uh, daylight 8 time. p.m. in the Central European summer time. Mm-hmm. And. If you want to join us, gamescom.global, and there you can go to the Vetro stream and have a look. Yes, indeed, indeed. More information as we figure it out. <laughs> right. So, gamescom.global. Yes. Um, so, uh, in a minute, we are talking with Andrew Fisher, our very own sweet honey bear from the UK, <laughs> Andrew Fisher. Who is exactly. a prolific? Uh, um, he's a prolific magazine writer, article guy. He, he's got what, what article guy? What the hell is that? Yeah, he, he's a prolific editor, journalist. Contributing editor. He's a journalist. To many books, many magazines. Yes, he's he's a a retro journalist who is uh, uh has been prolific. He's written books. He's written magazine articles. He's all over the place. He's also a coder. He's also a musician. He's yep. pretty much across the board. He's just one of our favoriteest people. Um, and we will be talking to him momentarily. About his career. And yes, stuff. yes. Before that, however, we have some uh, a couple of bits of news. So, right. my friend, I shall let you start. Well, the Amiga, the A500 Mini was mm. announced <laughs> from VetroGames.biz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Yep, Speaking yep, of yep. which, look what I got. The Mini mm-hmm. C64. Mm-hmm. Arrived at my house um, with um, in, in, in shrouded in mystery because I did not order this. But mm. whoever sent it to me, um, thanks. <laughs> I suppose. I, have, I haven't used yeah. it yet. I, gotta, I haven't. Yeah, anyway. Anyway, yeah. so um, it's supposed to be released on the 31st of March next year, mm-hmm. 2022, and I already pre-ordered it at Amazon. You Let's did. see how well it goes. You did. Yeah. You, you pre-ordered an Amiga product. Right. You did. You, you Mr. Mr. I'll have never have anything to do with the Amiga. Yeah, well, not a real Amiga. I'm not going to learn how the system works. I'm not but going to learn wor- how copy wor- protection but stuff workbench, works. But Workbench, you can boot into Workbench, and the mouse works. Everything, you know, it's like you, you uh. it's a, you're using, you're going to be using Workbench if you, if you're using that. Perhaps not. I mean, it comes with 25 games pre-installed. Yes. yes. Perhaps it's just a menu you can select. That from. is a, that is the biggest, um, probably the biggest thing that I had with the Amiga getting used to, which is because um, I never had an Amiga when it was an Amiga when they what the man, my face is not working today. Um, I didn't have an Amiga back when they were being made when they were, were, were current machines. 85. Yeah, or 85 through the, the early 90s or mid 90s, actually. Um, but um, well, 94 is not mid 90. Really. But 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 
they continued. Amiga well, Amiga kept making them after Commodore died. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah they well, were still being uh, SCOM produced. took yeah. over in Germany right, right, right. until ninety um, six. Yeah. So right, just yeah. two years longer. Yeah, but um, so I never had an Amiga while they were being made, um, and so my my perception of it is a little skewed. Now with the Amiga, the thing is that you can, you have Workbench, which is an operating system that you can boot into. Um, and having now been on a Mac and, and, a, and Windows machines and all this stuff for so long, that is what I'm used to. But the Amiga, really what you would normally do is just pop a disc in and boot the game directly off the disc, not bothering with Workbench at all. And I have a really hard time wrapping my brain around that concept of, of the fact like, like I don't need the OS to run this game. This game. Uh, it's the same as the C64. Yes, it is. It is. It is closer to the C64 in in functionality than it is to the machines that we have now. But but again, like it's it's the sort of thing. Like I see an OS, I automatically boot the Amiga into into Amiga OS, and I want my brain wants to do everything in Amiga OS, and it's like no 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 no, you don't actually need Amiga OS to use the computer. Word processors... Just like you don't need Geos to use a Commodore right, 64. Right, right. Word processors and graphics software and all this stuff, like you wouldn't use Workbench to get to them. They were just... Some of them would let you install it in Workbench so that you could, but a lot of them you just threw the disk in and booted off the disk and that was it. Yeah, but the Geos system is um, Geo system is a totally beast. different animal, yeah. Geos is yeah, totally because, because... Despite you wouldn't need it, they were separated programs mm-hmm. just to run on Geos. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And you could boot into a regular old uh, program through Geos. You know, just throw a regular disk in and it would show you all your files and pick the one you want and you'll leave Geos and load the file. But this is right. getting way off the point. The The point is anyway, that there is yeah, a well, Amiga 500 well, Mini. Other- other pieces of news actually is that um, there was an announcement that uh, on Twitter that um, th- 3DFX would return. Really? But it turns out that this was a troll attempt. Oh. Um, so they are not coming back. So that means it will stay between NVIDIA and AMD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Apple's also making its own GPUs now, so... Yeah, but not for the gaming market. Yeah, I, I'm curious how that's going to work, because... Yeah, it's it's a little weird. Um, that's... Companies like Intel are making graphic chips and so on. Yeah. But GPUs or... Um, or... Um... Intel's GPUs have gotten not bad, not terrible. Yeah, but not for gaming. Hmm. Well, gaming I mean, is AMD and and Nvidia yeah, exclusively. Yeah. yeah, but the the entry level, the you know, it was there was a time when if you had an Intel graphics processor, you know, like the GMA whatever X thirty one hundred or something, that you were doomed. Don't even try playing a game. Uh, but at some at a certain point, um, they became less terrible. Like the like, like starting with, I would say, the HD 4000, they became serviceable, where games, mm-hmm. you could play games, not at the highest settings, but but you weren't doomed if you had that processor, <laughs> you know? 
and you mm. could do stuff like like you know you can you could use it to um export or to to help export video and stuff it could do that kind of thing you know taking some time away from the processor to handle it as as like like a real mm. like a discrete gpu would mm. and and then you know their iris graphics and stuff they've gotten they've gotten better they've gotten a lot better than what they were they're still not i wouldn't want to play you know flight simulator 2020 on it but 2020 yeah, yeah but you know well yeah yeah but you could play some some you could play games that are a couple of years old that's a drum doom um <laughs> so how about the other pieces of news um uh, i've got i just got one which is an interesting one which is that the um um it was posted literally a couple of days ago um somebody took the c64 kernel and ported it to the Atari 8-bit line. Hmm. So when you start up your Atari, um, you have a C64. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's it's it is very interesting. Um, there there are some issues with it. It's it's still in beta, obviously, and uh, the the issues are like. Um, um, there's no way to load or save basic programs because there's no there's no I/O there's no drive functionality you know because um, yeah Petsky color doesn't work for some reason um, probably because the colors are different um, but yeah I mean there's a there's a video on YouTube uh, that you can that you can see we'll put a link to it in the description and it'll probably be playing over our faces right now. Um, of, <laughs> of an Atari, um, it looks like a 400, um, mm -hmm. running uh, Commodore Basic V2. So interesting, yeah, it is interesting. I, I just love the fact that these things continue to happen, um, that people are still messing around with these things. And it has a GitHub right. page, it has a GitHub page as well, so people can continue to, I guess, contribute to it. And now let's mess yes. with Andrew's brain and jump to him. Yes, Andrew Fisher is waiting in the wings, and we are going to talk to him and learn all about all the things that he has done and why he's awesome and why we don't yeah. we don't deserve him. Oh, <laughs> don't be like that. So, um, as we are ready, let's mm -hmm. let's start. Yes. Live from Andrew's bedroom. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> well, um, so... Um, hey, I've got the same shirt, except mine's green. Uh, cool. I've got a white one as well. Oh, very nice. <laughs> and I got, I got You've the... Just got, um, was that a spreadsheet? <laughs> yeah, this spreadsheet advertisement. I got it printed <laughs> on a shirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the one from Australia. The t-shirt I have on now is much more uh, obscure. I don't know if people would understand... That didn't actually that weren't into early '90s sci-fi. Okay, Babylon. Babylon oh, Five. I, I, I know that. Yeah, yes. sure, sure. And it anyway, was big in Germany, I believe. Yeah, it was big in it Germany. Was, it was, it was. Anyway, um, today we have another guest again. Yes. And this time it's one of our own staff members. Oh my God. The very, very much known Andrew Fisher, yes. also called uh, 
Professor Andrew or Professor Merman, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and also then I was uh, Professor Brian Strain in the pages of Commodore Force. Mm. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, and and we are talking not not Just specifically tweet. about a scene world today, but about your career mm-hmm. in the retrosphere. And so. just to be clear, it's this it's this dog. <laughs> That's an internal joke. Yes, yes. <laughs> Just for people who don't understand. Yes. Well, uh, an external joke as well. But <laughs> <laughs> alrighty. Well, the thing is. Um, I thought I know everything about you, Andrew, but it appears I don't because you sent us a list yes, of you've things. Yes, you sent us your, your resume. So, so um, like, I have to ask, you know, um, um, what do you feel is, that you're bringing to this company? <laughs> where where well, do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> probably doing the same things. <laughs> probably, probably. Yeah. There's, well, there's, there's an English expression, um, jack of all trades, master mm-hmm. of none. Yeah. If I was going to say what my strength was, I'd probably say it's the writing is my strongest side. And that's the bit I've been doing the longest. Um, I started writing for for Commodore Force when I was uh, 17. So mm-hmm. uh, that's that's been the, the longest part of it. But that was the reason I started writing for Commodore Force was because I developed my skills for the Commodore 64. Hmm. So by that point, I was already starting to do some music. I was already starting to do some machine code programming. I knew bit, quite a bit on the technical side about the machine and also particularly Geos. I was uh, working with the uh, Geo Club UK for, for Geos users as well. So I had a Just quite a broad knowledge at that point, and it's only built from there. What oh. people don't know, the way I got to know Andrew was actually that I had a phone call with Alex de Vries from, um, from Crystal Software in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And I said, like, I'm planning to do this magazine that unites the Americans and the Europeans. And I'm looking for skilled people. And he would send me a fax. <laughs> with names of people yeah. and addresses and phone numbers and 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 your your address was on it. But most importantly, you had a fax machine in your house. In yeah, in 98, two, 98, oh, okay. 99, we had a fax machine. Okay. Right? In the nineties, fax was still a big thing. Okay. Um, sure. At least here in Germany. Hmm. And um, s- several uh, occasions like banks would only communicate with customers over fax really? or certain doctors and stuff. Huh. Uh, anyway, anyway, so um, what what Alex DeFree said about you, Andrew, was that you are a magic roundabout because you can do code, graphics, and music. <laughs> uh, so I actually wrote to you, and you, you answered me pretty quickly, and then you joined People of Liberty, which mm-hmm. um, is the group... That um, well, I took over back in '99 because the original leader was no longer interested in keeping it going, mm-hmm. and this is how I got to know um, Andrew Fisher. So it felt like you didn't already have enough on your plate. Yeah. Or you thought my <laughs> my note to you was 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 nice enough. Well, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I was very intrigued by the idea. Um, prior to that, I'd been involved very briefly with a, another disc mag called Universal. 
and the idea of that was people from different co- from countries from different countries would send in a chapter mm-hmm. that they'd written and then it would be put into the, their magsis and sent round and i quite like the way that one was presented because you literally had the flag of the country the person was from you hmm. clicked on it you got the text and so as i said i was involved in a couple of issues of that so i thought yeah that was quite good and then i'd done that was through the irish demo group ozone uh a friend of mine donica uh, invited me to join that 1993 sort of just after i started writing for for commodore force Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I was in Ozone for several years. Then, as Jörg says, I joined People of Liberty primarily to work on Scene World. Um, but I have then released other stuff through People of Liberty's quite a bit of music and one or two little, little demos. All Beers collection was quite successful. All Beers, yeah, I enjoyed doing that one. That was great fun. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and then uh, I also then um, joined up to Roll and the Arachnophobia staff around that around well that was about around 2001 so those those are the scene groups i've been in mm-hmm. over the years still officially part of role even though i'm not very active for role <laughs> well role is like having a lot of members but isn't a very active as a group but it has always been like this way oh yes and yeah. then there are suddenly a peak of activity and then it slows down again yeah 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 and um i remember you saying once that Every publication you took part in usually died yes. at some yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was the quote I put on my um, Commodore Scene database page, CSDB. Um, but that, that was that goes back to when I first started writing the uh, UK publication Commodore Disc User, which mm-hmm. was a magazine which had a disc on the cover each month, and I'd written one or two little programs for that and a couple of routines for that. And I had the contracts, signed contracts for publication. So they're going to pay me money for my programs. Mm-hmm. And the company publishing it, Argus Specialist Publications, went bankrupt. Oh. And so I thought, oh, that's a real pity. You know, just when I you know, just turned 16, thought money would come in handy then. Um, yeah, they closed. But uh, a new company took over, Alphavite Publications. And I wrote to them and said, look, you know, got the contracts with them are you still interested in signing and they said yeah yeah sure we're still interested and i waited and i waited and I waited and just over a, a year later they closed too owing lots of people money so yeah so that was the, that was a bad start <laughs> <laughs> um but there was something in commodore disc user uh, jason finch who went on to write for commodore format commodore force's main rival he said in one of his columns for, for commodore disc user that he had literally written to the magazine and said, I can write, give us a job, <laughs> which is a very British expression. Yeah. And uh, he, uh, you know, he, got the, he got the job writing the technical column for them. So when Zap64 published a survey asking readers what they wanted, say perhaps a technical column, I thought, aha, here's an opportunity, take it. So mm. I literally sat down and, and mocked up a column answering readers' letters, saying, "How does you know why isn't this working? How do I do this?" Cut up a couple of old issues of Zap for some illustrations, sent it off to the editor at the time, Phil King, and a couple of months later, I got a letter back from Steve Shields, who was taking over as editor, saying the magazine is rebranding as Commodore Force in line with the other magazines, and uh, we'd love you to start on on the first issue with that. We'll announce a couple of issues beforehand that uh, we want your technical inquiries, your technical letters, 
and we'll pass them on to you. You write the column, send it into us. There you go. So great. I've got the foot in the door. Of course, part of the reason for the rebrand as Commodore 4s is because the original publishers of Zap, Newsfield, had gone bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They'd gone into liquidation. And so fortunately, they started up a new company, Europress Impact, to carry on with the magazine. So there was a month where there wasn't an issue of Zap, and then it came back for just over, just over a year then, became Commodore Force. And Commodore Force lasted 16 issues. I wrote for every issue of Commodore Force. I did um, some extra work then at the last minute for issue 16 to fill some extra pages because they were desperately short of content. Literally 48 hours notice, I wrote uh, a 1,000 words, printed it off, raw mail, next day delivery to make sure it got there in time. And issue 16 comes out and ring the editor and say, yeah, what's happening next month? What do you need next month? And uh, he says, I'll get back to you. And a week later, I'm thinking, this is getting close to deadline. What's happening? Ring again. Yeah, yeah, we've got some problems here. I'll get back to you. No. And of course... He never got back gone. to you, right? Yeah. They're gone. They're gone. So Ooh. another magazine down the tubes. Mm-hmm. So wow. a few months later, um, someone approached me and said, look, I'm, I've got some articles that need to go into Commodore format. I can't write them myself because obviously he's running the company that's selling these things. You know, could you, you know, could you write this sort of article for them? I sent off one article. Uh, it's called Bargain Hunter. It's in issue 54 of Commodore format. And that was, that was done to a commission. So it's talking mm-hmm. about buying, buying stuff secondhand. And that one went down quite well. And then from 56 up to issue 60, I was then in every month with some stuff. Uh, I did a piece on clubs and newsletters for them. And I did a couple of game reviews. I reviewed um, Walkers and Sword of Honor for them. And... Um, funny story about the sword of honor review um i was writing all my text at the time on the 64 i was using <laughs> word word writer v6 and i'd print it out on a printer and literally mail off the pages commodore format was switching to macintoshes for all their in- in-house production production at that point i said look could you send us stuff on disc fortunately i brought a commodore 1581 disc drive mm-hmm. three and a half inch disc drive and there was a program for that called Big Blue Reader, which allowed you to read and write IBM PC 720K disk. Yeah, remember so I wrote, te- wrote the text in WordWriter 6, transferred it into ASCII with uh, <laughs> Big Blue Reader, grabbed some screenshots of Action Replay, converted them into GIF files, <laughs> copied these files all over to a three-and-a-half-inch disk, sent them off to Commodore Format. And if you look at the pictures in the final... Um, article unfortunately one of them's corrupted hmm. and another one the color balance balance is completely wrong <laughs> <laughs> so it was a brave experiment but it failed <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so and then issue 61 of commodore format arrived no warning whatsoever it's closing <laughs> oh well, yet again yet, yet again. again yeah so then um i spent the next few years basically writing for for fanzines and disc magazines, um, Commodore Scene in the UK, Commodore Zone came along uh, for quite a few years later. Um, but a lot of my time then in the 90s, um, because my, I was having problems with my health 
back then. I still have a few problems with my health, which affects how much I can work. Um, yeah, so I spent a lot of time in the 90s then, um, first of all, transcribing sheet music into hmm. starting off with Ubix Music and then Dutch USA Teams Music Assembler. And it was mainly done for the fun of it. Didn't really envisage spreading it, sending it off to people. Uh, but then uh, Warren Pilkington, who's done a lot of work with the High Voltage SID collection, mm-hmm. said to me, why don't you give it a go? Try writing you know, some original stuff. Try some of your own tunes. He sent me some presets and uh, I started dabbling and started doing one too. And yeah, I started enjoying doing that, sort of you know, sitting down, spend a couple of hours composing a tune. And of course, then when you've, you've got a tune, you think, all right, well, put it in a little demo or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I did a, a series of demos of the, the music I transcribed. So bands like Blur, The Police, The Beatles. Um, I became friends with another Commodore 64 fan, Danny Todd. He, um, he'd done a, a, a music menu and he'd um, got a, an IRQ loader. So you could load in the one tune while another one was playing. And so I tinkered around with his code a bit, worked out how to do menu. So the next disc I sent out has got a, a menu with 25 tunes on and you can scroll through the list and pick them up. And so, yeah, so there's that sort of thing. And then another very good friend of mine, Wayne Womersley of the Art Ravers. Uh, he does a, a lot of graphic stuff. Um, he sent me loads of discs full of his car- particularly cartoon artwork and I thought yeah these are great we'll, we'll do a slideshow so mm-hmm. sort of just coded up a basic sort of bitmap display routine put sprite scroller in the border play a bit of music use the IQ loader load it in and yeah you got a slideshow so cool so I did quite a few of those there's one I'm particularly proud of on that which is the well there's a couple I'm proud of on that the second South Park slideshow it's got some really great artwork in it by Wayne. Um, I used Blackmail's HISP editor, which allows you to edit eight sprites together mm. in a little picture. So you've got eight different colors. It's all one by one, by one pixel. So you can get lots and lots of detail. Oh. So I did the sprites of the, the South Park characters, so Kenny, Kyle, Cartman, and mm. Eric. And so they, they animate in various ways through the demos. They slide in off the screen. They like the start of the cartoon where the characters all jumble up together out of the pieces of paper. I did yeah. that so the sprites slide in and they make up the character. And so there's lots of little animation touches like that in the demo, which is, which I think come out really well. Um, the music I did for that one, I really like. Um, but then the, the thing I think I like about it most is the introduction sequence. There's actually three different intros on that slideshow. So if you just load up the first file on the disc, Mm-hmm. It picks one at random. So it could be any of those three. Well, okay. yeah. If you t- go up to the top left-hand corner of the screen and type one, two, or three before you load and run the demo, it will pick intro one, two, or three. Ah, it's an Easter egg, kind of. Yeah, okay. it's an Easter egg. So there's a, there's a Star Wars intro, there's a, um, a Star Trek intro, and there's a Platoon intro. And they've each got a different logo and a different um, vertical scroller. Hmm. And... I, I just loved how that one came together. When I had the idea, coded it, it all comes together. And in a similar vein, I did another um, slideshow, which was um, when I got the Handy Scanner 64, which allows you to scan things in. Oh, yes, uh, I have that too, yes. Yeah. Uh, I scanned in loads, you know, everything I could find, Dungeons & Dragons, Monster Manuals, role-playing game manuals, um, Final Fan- uh, Fighting Fantasy booklets, um, cartoons out the paper. And 
Pokemon came along. Pokemon was huge. And I thought, yeah, I've got to do a Pokemon demo. And of course, being the sort of the carting outlines, the, the black outlines, they scanned really well mm-hmm. with a handy scanner. I thought, yeah, I'll do a slideshow of these. So scanned them in, used Advanced Art Studio to, to color them in so they look pretty good on the screen. And um, yeah, so then I thought, right, so I've got all these different Pokemon. How about telling a little story, almost like an episode of Pokemon? Hmm. So again, this this demo uses the random function as well so every time you play that it plays the slideshows the the, the slides and the pictures in a different order and each one has got then a little sort of a, a little petsky introduction screen which tells a bit of the story so you know it might be a Mewtwo and it says um you know ash encounters a, a, a very rare pokemon or the next one you know oh psyduck has a headache you know so and then it introduces right. the character and that's that's got some little sprite animations in as well so when when it shows the the Pokemon, then you get a Pokeball flies in from the side of the screen and zaps it and captures it. So that's another, that's a fun little one. I've, I've put the, um, I've put the recording of, of that up on my YouTube channel. So I do like that one. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you are very creative. I mean, I mean, this is actually where, where you came into hand, um, working for Scene World because, um, one of your first tasks was actually learning how to anti-fix. Yes. <laughs> and Faz, also called Dustin Chambers, actually taught you how to do that. Yes, yes, he gave me some help with that, gave me some little routines and one or two tricks, yeah. Yep. Hmm. Which is interesting because back then, 20, 21 years ago, nobody gave a damn yeah, about yeah. the Americans. Yeah. So yeah. what made you motivated to, to um, help <laughs> there? I mean, I mean, I mean... Everybody told me, even those people who were pretty famous um, back then, even like Jazz Cat, they all told me it's it's in vain. Don't even invest the time in it. Well, I mean, I remember when I got sort of when I first got my sort of first discs of um, public, you know, PD software through from from Binary Zone here in the UK. And I was looking through some demos and there's one or two. And I, I remember one particularly, which is the. Um, um, the Frost demo by Ash and Dave, which plays the music from Frost by Rob Hubbard with the animated yeah. band. And it actually asks before you start, are you a Yankee? <laughs> yes. Y slash N. If you type yes, it skips the first part of the demo and goes straight into the concert. The reason being it's a, it's a, a sprite scholar that goes right across the, the top and bottom borders. And it, the timing mm-hmm. doesn't work properly on NTSC machines. Yeah. So that sort of always stuck with me that there was this very sort of separate scene in America, and I'd seen sort of one or two cracks, particularly with import, you know, imported from the states, and bits and pieces wouldn't work. You know, parts of parts of the intro wouldn't work. The raster bars would glitch and flicker, mm-hmm. or you know, the picture would be slightly scrambled because of where the where it was on screen and i think that sort of stuck with me so when you mentioned you know oh we need to enter ntsc fix i could say okay yeah it makes sense if you're trying to unite the scenes and talk about the whole scene world then let's let's get it running on the, for the whole scene world so they can all see it yeah yeah oh you, ne- you never told me about those experiences interesting yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, this is it this is all part of yeah. oh, okay. this is all part of what in, you know inform the decisions inform what i did so <laughs> yeah, well, it seems um, kind of like your 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 experience with magazines sort of um, was the reverse of mine, where where you came on as a writer and mm-hmm. through your experience through that, 
kind of turned into a programmer and a musician and all this other stuff. <laughs> Whereas I started off programming and, you know, I was published by Lodestar and, you know, I mean, that was, I still got the, you know, the contracts on the wall behind me. Oh, cool. They're stuck behind the microphone, but you know, they're, they're yeah. back there, you know, and like, that was a big deal for, you know, 16 year old mm. me to be, you know, published and actually paid yeah, for my stuff. Uh, yeah. I had, I had a couple of bits on Lodestar as well mm. myself. Yeah. Yeah. But I discovered it during that, that I actually enjoyed writing the documentation to the program mm. more than I liked making the program. Well, and so I, yeah, yeah that's I, interesting. That's one of the things I did like about the Lodestar format mm -hmm. is that because you got the documents as well mm -hmm. and, you know, and run it through, through their menu program, you, you, you felt like you knew what you're doing with the program right. or the game when you loaded it up yeah. because it was there. And as right. you say, it's interesting then, you know, You've you've written something. How do you how do you put that across to someone? Mm -hmm. How to use it? Yeah, yeah. But it's you know. But I I ended up so so you came on as a writer and turned into a programmer, whereas I came in as a programmer and turned into a writer. <laughs> Which is yeah, interesting. Hmm. And also one thing you 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 often say, or I often heard from you was like you are very modest and. I would hear a lot like I'm not really good at coding and stuff. And when I remember when I was talking with H A about that, H A totally had a different opinion. Like, yeah. hey man, he hacked the code from Warp and Harper. And, well, yeah, you, you had know? to you had to you know re uh, reverse engineer the entire magazine outfit. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I will I will say I did have some help on that with from Robin because he sent me mm -hmm. a list of you know entry points into it. Uh, right. It's because he was using the the Mr. Mouse code from from Lodestar uh, mm -hmm. and Lee Novak as the base for what was running the the pointers, the pointer in the menu system. It's a case of that has some you know you you call this address with this value and it will do this. You tell mm -hmm. it to draw a box at this point, it will do this. So when you know where they are. It's, you know, right, it's, right. It is a little more straightforward. You still actually have to physically put the put the numbers into memory and find yeah. out where they are. Yeah. And the, the trick with the trick with that was there's um, a particular value, and I, I, it's not in not in my head after all these years. <laughs> it should be really. <laughs> there's a particular value that signaled the end of each menu piece, and mm. if you could find those, you could see how long each menu section was because it's literally literally you you pass. There's a basic program you can poke you. Put it, put all the menus in strings, and it pokes right. it into the piece, the correct piece of menu memory, and you save that piece of memory out, load it into the Maxis, and mm. there you go. That's set the menus up. So, oh, okay. Hmm. Another mm. thing I didn't know: all the secrets are coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. So yeah, so it was a lot of fun working on <laughs> on that second issue of Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> World. <laughs> getting that out the door and yeah and then you know we sort of we sort of settled into a, a bit of routine then you you you'd gather the text and i'd do the sort of the final edit and put, right. put the final mag together and we get it out mm -hmm. there and spread it and right. some highs some highs some lows some good some bad <laughs> yeah, yeah that's yeah. true that's true and here's one thing i i i would like to know because i think you said once in a comment you said like it's good we we continued after our five years break and you said once that you were kind of responsible for the five years break and from my perspective that wasn't the case i i had the for my feeling we had a mutual agreement that we quit because of the negative feedback we received from the outside <laughs> back then. Uh, 
Yes, yes. I mean, to, to, to a large extent, yes. It was the negative feedback that completely demotivated me to mm. carry on with SeaWorld for a while. Um, again, you know, obviously my health was going downhill at that point, leading up to my diagnosis in 2009 with Crohn's disease. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was never a case of I wanted to walk away from it completely. I felt we could always do something with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm glad in a way it it did hang around because now obviously we've got these new avenues, the podcast, the the YouTube, yeah. which I think are, 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 are such a great thing to add to it because it's taking us out to a wider audience. It's taking us into lots of different topics and areas yeah. related to the C64 and retro gaming that we're, we're all interested in. I think that's, you know, in a way... Perhaps we needed that downtime, that break away to find, you know, to find the new purpose again, to find, to find that mojo, as they say. But yeah, as I say, you know, this sort of, if you, if you like to call it the new era of scene world. Well, I mean, you are responsible for that as well, because you surprised me in May 2010 when I was at your house yes. and I woke up. You actually were sitting in front of a computer like, oh, by the way, I pulled out the hard disk drive from an old laptop and I got all the texts together. We got we got, um, we got, got an intro by Janos from yep. Hungary that we can use so we can all put it together and release it. And then the, the feedback on CSTB was so positive that I asked like, hey, guys, do we want to continue? Yeah, and then we simply did. Yeah, as I say, you know, the uh, uh, that was you know I think that was perfect timing, really. You know, first time you you know we'd met met in person, and you came over to England for a visit, and that was a lot of fun to do. Writing the editorial live at my house. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so yeah, yeah, I'm glad you got the chance to visit, and I'm glad we got the chance to put Scenewell back on the map. Actually, there is a photo of that moment. Yes, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll put I it right here asked, so everyone can see that. I was actually asked if if we can if we can take a photo for this floppy um, this uh, floppy disk book. Mm. I think I told you about it by the uh, Dutch and Portuguese researchers that yeah. interviewed yeah. us about floppy disks. And they were actually asking if we have a photo where we work on scene world. <laughs> and I was like, the only photo I can think of is this particular photo. So I, I would, I would tell them that I would ask you if you are okay when we, when I send it to them. Oh, you, you can use it. The room's a mess, but yeah, you can use it. <laughs> Mind you, that room Everyone's. is still. That room is still a mess because at the moment most of my most of my um, computer collection is still sitting in that room, yeah. and that's 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 five miles away from me at the moment. Because yeah. <laughs> okay. since, since I got married and moved in, since I got married and moved in with my wife, um, <laughs> I'm sort of my my collection is in another castle. So hmm. <laughs> ah, but you are working on moving over the collection or. Uh, not not in the foreseeable future because you know this is a really small house i haven't got room for it here i see, um, I see the, I the see. room i'm in at the moment there's a huge pile just to my right there's a huge pile of books <laughs> some of them okay. unopened 
<laughs> well, but five miles is not not oh, very, yeah, no. not yeah, not, yeah, it's not that far away. We're, we're looking we're look, we're looking to move into a bigger place. You know, oh, um, even better. Even so better. hopefully, hopefully then I'll have a nice office space, a nice man cave, perhaps. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, talking about which, um, I remember the first time AJ saw your Twitter, AJ's comment was like, oh, Andrew is a brand of himself. Look how much <laughs> yeah. followers he has on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I did, yeah, I did quite well quite quickly on Twitter. Um, obviously, because there was quite a few contacts I had through Retro Gamer magazine, which mm-hmm. I've been writing for since 2003 um so instantly you know when i went on it was suggesting oh follow this person because you know them follow this person because they're tweeting about the same topic and so yeah i got quickly got quite a following on twitter uh i think i'm well over three thousand now yeah yeah um yeah so that's quite good and yeah so yeah it's, it's been interesting that one i've actually managed to get in touch with quite a few people through twitter I've won a couple of Twitter competitions as well, which is always nice <laughs> when you win something. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, so do you know, do do try and keep that one updated regularly as mm-hmm. new stuff arrives as I do new stuff. Yeah, well, you know, when I say you're you're a brand of your own kind of, I mean, it's 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 the truth because there is what you do with Scene World, but you're also like, you know, when people talk about Andrew Fisher, they just know who that is. You know, it's it's he's a you know a, a guy within the '64 scene. You've had books, you've had you know all these different magazines you've worked for. So yeah. it's like you say the name and people know who it, you know, it's, it, you're a personality, um, unto yourself. You know, it's not <laughs> like, you know, like when people think of Jurg, you know, Jurg is tied to scene world, you know, I mean, that's kind yeah, of, I do. <laughs> well, no, 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 I'm, I'm just saying yeah, that gonna... that's, that's that, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that that's what, you know, that's what you're kind of connected to. Yeah. yeah I guess it's when... quite flattering. Um, Mark Hardesty, who wrote the book uh, A Gremlin in the Works, looking at uh, mm-hmm. Gremlin Graphics, which is an amazing book. I believe there's a reprint coming yeah. up from Bitmap Books soon. Um, yeah, he, um, he, he dubbed me the Retro Gaming Guru on Twitter, right. which, is rather, which is rather cool. Um, yeah, if I do see a sort of a, a, a question uh, or do you remember or what was the game? I do try and sort of put in a reply and mm-hmm. yeah. My hit rate's pretty good on that. So. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You are seen as an expert on video mm-hmm. games, you know. Yeah, yeah. Sort of an, another string to my bow has been at sort of the various retro events in the UK. I've also been sort of leading the panel discussions and interviewing mm-hmm. people, and that is a lot of fun to do. Yeah, that's a lot of fun to do, researching and uh, talking to them at the events, and you know, and getting the chance to meet people whose mm-hmm. games I love to play myself is just such an honour. I mean. Yeah. I remember the first back in time live event I went to in 2002. I was just in awe of everyone there. I was so shy. I just couldn't speak to anyone. I saw Jeff Minter of Llamasoft. I couldn't, I couldn't go up and talk to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did talk to John Hare and Richard, Richard Joseph at that first show, and they were great people. Uh, Carl Muller, the programmer of Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, and Speedball 2 on the C64. Great guy. Are they Hero Turtles in England too? Yeah, well, yeah, they were Hero Turtles in England, renamed here because of that. Yeah, so um, Germany too. Yeah, uh, uh, huh. everywhere else it's called Ninja yeah. Turtles. Yeah, yeah, in the US, it's Teenage Mutant yes. Ninja Turtles, and then, yeah, so then it's originally Ninja, and then yeah. because of the violence, they renamed it Hero here. Exactly. Oh, okay. It took gotcha. over the same gotcha. name. Gotcha. But By then the, way, the strange that... thing was then when the uh, the first of the live action films came out, mm-hmm. that was then Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, okay. right. 
that's true. In the UK. It's just for the cartoons and the kids yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. By yeah. the way, is that huh. just me or is my video frozen, kind of? That's just you. Just me. Fine here. Okay, that's good. But yeah, so <laughs> interesting aside there. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow got on those hurdles. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so meeting those guys um, in recent years, a uh, fantastic opportunity. I had a couple of years ago to go and meet Andrew Braybrook, the programmer mm-hmm. of Iridium and PowerDroid, um, <laughs> to actually go to his house <laughs> and <laughs> talk to him. Uh, he was there to uh, with uh, uh, with Chris Wilkins of Fusion Retro Books, who did the Zap annuals in recent years, and is now doing the the new Zap magazine because Zap is back in a big way. Really? Um, yes. So wow. Kickstarter. When? Uh, well, we're on to issue three. We're working on issue three right now. Nice. Okay. Well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll come, um, we'll come back but, to that in a minute. But, but from the past, Zap was always coming like an issue like every couple of months or years. Uh, well, originally, originally back in the 80s and 90s, it was a monthly magazine. Right. And then, as I say, Chris Wilkins did the, the free annuals. So 2019, exactly. 2021, done an annual each. Well, sorry, 2018, 2020, 2021. So we've done three of the last four years. We've done an annual. The first one was rounding up sort of the last 10 um, he managed to negotiate with Future Publishing for the rights to the names Zap, Crash, Amtix as well for the Amstrad. And so now officially oh. it's back as a bi-monthly A5 ma- magazine. Nice. Nice. Uh, it's funded initially through a Patreon page. If you go zap zapmagazine.co.uk or search on Patreon for Zap64, you'll find it there. Um, yeah, so patrons can pledge each month for either a digital pdf or a printed copy and they get the advanced they get the advanced copies printed first and then the remain the remainder of the print run then goes on sale um but you only pay in the months the magazine comes out so it comes out every two months you pay every Hmm. two months for the magazine Uh, or or you can say you can take the chance and on order when it goes on general sale Hmm. yeah so it's the same mix of things that was in the original zap so reviews and features news and previews um patrons at the moment are getting an exclusive cover disc starting with issue two so there was a demo of the recent nixie the glade sprite and mm-hmm. full game snow wars from monty boyd um issue issue freeze cover disc has got some great stuff on there um ghost ghost bunny forthcoming game from bimbalade which mm. is a lot of fun so yeah so definitely worth getting on the patreon if you want to uh to get involved with that wow um, cool nice yes so yeah so i'm back i'm back on zap i'm back reviewing games i'm back writing features professor brian strain has been resurrected he's, <laughs> Wonderful. Been, he's Wonderful. been he's been in the he's been in the annuals the last couple of years and he popped up a couple of times in some other features so uh, very cool and you also worked on books i think your first book was in mm-hmm. 2008 yeah, because i remember i got a honorable mention in the yes. editorial for being mm-hmm. a yes. good yes. friend or something like yes wow. in the acknowledgements being a, from for being a loyal c64 supporter yes that's the uh, <laughs> the commodore 64 book 1982 to 19xx uh, reviewed over 200 games from ranging from 1982 to 2007 um which is the year i actually sat and wrote the book uh andrew rollings of hive books had done the zx spectrum book beforehand which is 1982 to 1992 Right. And um, again, I took the chance, wrote to him and said, look, 
do you want someone to do the C64 version? And he said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, write it. And I did. And Andrew designed it. And so, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I mean, uh, well, a lot of fun, a lot of hard work. Um, obviously, because that's that's a lot of words to write, a lot of screens to grab, a lot of games to play. So, yeah, that was about eight months' work in total hmm. to, to write that book. Um, but, yeah, that was... Uh, I'm, I'm so glad I did it. I'd wanted to write a book about the C64 back in the 90s. I wrote the foreword to a book back in the 90s because I was in Zap. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that started me thinking, could I write a book? Could I write a whole book myself? Mm-hmm. And then the opportunity comes along, you take it. So Yeah, yeah. And if you can find a copy of it, because I don't think it's currently being printed. But it's, uh, No, there, there was only ever the one print run. Right. If you can find no a copy print, of it, no they print. go for uh, ludicrous amounts of they money. They go for ludicrous amounts of money. But, and here we have a little Scene World exclusive for the podcast tonight. Ooh. Later this year, there will be an ebook edition of the Commodore 64 book, 1982 to 19XX. Nice. For the first some... time in ebook. Awesome. In various formats. So that's currently being worked on. Going to throw some air horns in there. Awesome. And there will be awesome. a paper edition afterwards? No, because this is, this is the original book. This, this, this won't be going back into to print. Too bad, too bad, too bad. The sequel will be will be going into print. Yeah, but but people can always take the PDF and print it out on at home on their home printers, <laughs> and then just staple them together. And, you know. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that one quite sunk in. <laughs> I'll, I'll repeat it: the sequel will be in print. Yeah. Oh, the sequel. The Commodore sixty four book nineteen XX to twenty twenty two. Nice. Coming also August. Coming August twenty twenty two. Ooh. Sweet. So in, in a year. Wow. Yeah. To mark, the, to mark the 40th anniversary of the Commodore 64. Where do we Where do we pre-order? Where do I sign up? Pre-orders aren't open yet. There'll be a new website open later in the year. Mm-hmm. C64books.co.uk. Awesome. Because it's not just it's not just the ebook. It's not just the sequel. There are several other projects I'm working on at the moment. More retro gaming related books, and I want. And you are getting your own publi- You are becoming your own publisher, or what's well, the plan? Well, what I'll be doing, I'll be using one of the print-on-demand services for the, ah, the print copies. Yeah. Okay. So I obviously I, I don't have the space, room, time mm. to handle hundreds of books myself. So I'll be going through print-on-demand. I think that's the the sensible way to do it these days, yeah. because I you know I don't I don't yeah. want to be a publisher. Right, right. And can I get I want, my copy autographed? <laughs> Uh, there will be opportunities to get autograph nice. copies, make, making awesome. sure that thing is available. Um, I'm hope, what I'm hoping to do is fund through pre-orders rather than Kickstarter or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I think that's too complicated. Again, there's a lot of logistics to handle right. to make make things tougher. But mm. as it, as as it stands, right. those those are the plans as we we sit here tonight. So nice, very cool, very cool. Nice, nice. I am jazzed. Oh. <laughs> well that was the idea that's what that's why i wanted to to drop the news yeah very cool so so you're actually you're actually how to say turning from a magazine editor in a book author kind of well i mean you know it's 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 writing writing is yeah. what i do so that's what you know that's what i do and mm-hmm. as i say it's it's a, a big moment 40 years of the commodore 64 
Mm-hmm. We've got to market somehow. We've got to, yeah. we've got to remind yeah. people, A, how important the Commodore 64 is in terms of computing history. Mm-hmm. Because I, I seriously doubt without the Commodore 64 whether there'd be a computer in every home right now. Right, right. So many people got an early experience with Commodore computers, the PET, the VIC-20, the, the Commodore 64. Yeah, and all and the all the glory ex- goes to the PC and to the the into the Apple II. That's exactly exactly, but Apple II wasn't even first in the race in nineteen seventy seven. Exactly, Apple were third in nineteen seventy seven because Tandy Tandy sold the most. Right, Pet was second. Mm-hmm. Apple Apple were hand building and were, mm-hmm. were in third. Right, but right. but didn't the book? Um, on the edge, the rise and fall of Commodore from Brian Becknell already correct the history for that the most has, part? That has a lot of really good facts and a lot of, you know, a lot of myth busting in it, even down to the fact that at one point Commodore nearly bought Apple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Commodore nearly bought Apple. Apple couldn't produce fast enough. Apple because were looking around. I remember, I remember mm-hmm. that this book was the marking point to correct history. Yeah. Was and released Brian, in 2005. Yeah, and Brian Bagnall has gone on to produce the, the second volume, The Amiga Years, and uh, is now um, working on the early years as well, which has gone mm. even more depth into what happened before. Man, could you before. imagine if Commodore had bought Apple? That would have been... Ugh. It's interesting. No. I think things would, have, you know, things would have been slightly different. I don't, mm. think, I don't think Commodore would have still been around as a company because I think Commodore as a company was flawed. From yeah. day one. Oh, absolutely. That's another, yeah. that's, that's another story. Yeah. I think there would have been there been slight differences in in certain aspects of the what we think of as the modern computer. Mm-hmm. I think I think the PC might have been even slower to take over if yeah. Commodore had been more successful. Mm. I Taken mean, over. I mean, I mean. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Just just yesterday, at the time we are recording this, um, the um. The Nostalgia Nerd actually released <laughs> um, a, um, a video about the branding of Commodore mm-hmm. and what the Italians did to the brand. So there is footage of HJ's uh, review in it and my, my horrible unboxing video, <laughs> which I hate. Um, and um, I mean, you would think that stuff we did six years ago now would be... Um, a research point, a reference for a video of a big YouTuber. <laughs> but see, this is the point. We're, you know, if we're if we're out there collecting this history, uh-huh. writing it down in the disc mag, keeping it alive in the podcast and YouTube, it's there for the future, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's there for the future. So uh-huh. yeah, I mean, I mean, I still remember how we got this uh, podcast interview. I was on my way to the Frankfurt Film Museum on a Wednesday, um, walking down the street because we were we were participating in in the evening on a live stream with AJ and me, mm-hmm. and our retro slash cosplay slash um, movie guests. <laughs> and um, while while I'm walking down, I was sending messages and receiving messages from. Those those two Italians trying to convince them that Massimo we have and Paolo. Them. Exactly, yeah. Massimo Canosciani and Paolo Besser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Now, there's been a there's been a fascinating thread on Lemon sixty four forum recently about Italian software, and particularly about the fact that so much of the software sold in Italy was was pirated, basically. Yeah. It was just rejigged, altered versions of commercial games from other countries. And mm-hmm. I found I found that interesting myself. I mean, you know, that's yeah. Again, you see, this is this is where we're talking about the scene world. Well, the the, the scene was very different in very different countries. Mm-hmm. You take True. you take. I mean, going back to the history of Commodore in the mid '80s, machines like the Plus Four and the C16. Commodore dumped a lot of that inventory in Eastern Europe. Yeah, yeah. So countries like Hungary had a huge scene around the plus four. Yeah. That didn't that didn't happen, say, in in Italy or France. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, again, in Poland there was a huge following for the Atari machines. Atari right. dumped hundreds of thousands of Atari eight bits yeah. in the mid eighties in Poland. Those those guys became Royal Atari users, mm-hmm. upgraded to the ST. So you got all these Polish demo groups making wonderful demos on the ST, which yeah. you got the French, the French who stuck with Commodore, and they're on the Amiga. <laughs> yeah, and even in uh, even in like places like the like the UK, you know, the C, the C sixteen and the Plus Four, the C sixteen in particular had uh, way more of a foothold than it got like mm. in the US because there was yeah. a um, direct competitor to the I want to say the ZX something, yep. the Spectrum or ZX whatever. Spectrum, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that was they were closer in specs. Yeah. The two of those than the 64 was. The main, the main, the main thing with the with the C16, it was closer in price to the to mm-hmm. the Spectrum as well. So right. The parents are going into the shop and trying to buy a, a new computer for their for their kid in 84, 85. Mm-hmm. They look at the Commodore 64, which is nearly 200 pounds. Right. And then look at the the C16, which has been just been slashed to 99. And you think, yeah. All right, we'll go we'll go with the C16. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the Spectrum that was, I believe there was a variant of that sold in the US for a bit, but nobody bought it. I don't. Yeah, I've the, never uh, seen uh, one. Ty- Timex. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. The Timex Sinclair. They, yeah. They time, Timex T1000 and various other models they sold it under. Mm-hmm. There's a, a very funny story, and I think it's uh, repeated in On the Edge as well by Brian Bagnall. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Commodore for a while was doing an exchange, sending your 8-bit yes. machine for mm-hmm. a, 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 you know, for a, a rebate on, on your brand new C64. Right. And the, I'm not sure how true the story is, but it's been repeated often enough, and it's in the book, so I'm going to take it. It must have been happening. They said that uh, people at uh, the Commodore factory were using the, the Timex T1000 as a doorstop. Yeah, right. <laughs> I have read that too. I remember. Yeah, yeah. people would just yeah. buy them because they were dirt cheap. Yeah. And they'd buy them, and they'd, yeah, they'd, they'd send they'd them in. They'd buy one, send it in, get the money off the C64. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or didn't know what to do with them. Right, <laughs> right. Now the question is, if ZX Spectrum was so big in the UK, why you didn't get one? Why did you go for the Commodore 64? Now that's an interesting oh, there we one go. in itself. It's an interesting one itself. Um, so, so the first time I ever used a computer was at school. In the UK, mm-hmm. we had the BBC Micro. Oh, yes. There was the computer literacy program run by the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation. And the idea was to encourage people to use computers and Mm -hmm. to teach people how important they could be in everyday life. And I think that was a very forward looking program. Um, France had a similar 
program but it wasn't as good and the machines that that produced the thompson was were terrible mm. um in terms of the hardware i've spoken to a couple of french programmers and they both said no no you don't want to use that <laughs> um, but the bbc was an interesting one because sinclair was one of the companies bidding for it but they lost out to the company from cambridge in the uk called acorn computers and acorn literally the last day before the guys were coming up to see from the BBC to see the machine finally got their machine working properly as a, a, a film. You can find it on YouTube. It's called micro men, mm-hmm. uh, which is about the rivalry between acorn and Sinclair. And it's a dramatization of some of the events in it. And it's leading up to a, a memorable moment where Chris Curry of acorn and Clive Sinclair of Sinclair have a fist fight in a Cambridge pub. <laughs> um, but yeah, so acorn, was a very forward-looking company even then because while they were doing research into the 8-bit computer that was going to become the BBC Micro in schools up and down the country, they're also looking into a new area of computing, the reduced instruction set computer or RISC chip. The Mm -hmm. idea being you can do more faster with less instructions by changing the structure of the process. Right. And that research led to advanced RISC machines the chip manufacturer and well, if you've the, got a smartphone well, the acorn risk machine as it was originally yeah if you've got a smartphone sitting near you if you've got mm-hmm. mobile devices so many of them have or, chips or the new m1 mac the new m1 max exactly. as well indeed yes so you know so acorn is a very important terms but in mm-hmm. terms of the uk market it was very much down to the price mm-hmm. that determined the computer you got I was, you know, I had a friend went to his birthday party. He got a BBC and a Vic Twenty. Uh, yeah, very jealous of him. Hmm. Um, then you know, go around with other friends. They got a ZX eighty one, and type in a program, run it. Screen goes blank while it does something. <laughs> uh, yeah, so not very sophisticated. Um, but when it came to getting a computer at home, it was a case of my grandparents and my parents put some money together and for a mail order catalog um mm. ordered a commodore 64 and that it's as simple as that that's the one they chose it came okay. with the, the data set and it came with a couple of games mm-hmm. uh, arcadia 64 which took 18 minutes to load okay? <laughs> and 3d time trek which was an import from kingsoft in germany mm. um published under annie rog in the uk which is anil and roger and their names yeah. to put together to become annie rog later became anko and yeah, so we got a Commodore 64 at home and in a, in a great example of Commodore engineering prowess, the power pack was faulty. Of course. <laughs> so we try and tune it into the TV, not getting a picture, end up having to send it off. So we have to wait two weeks to get this power pack back before we can actually play our brand new computer. Yeah. Ooh. Here's the thing. The BBC Micro was actually famous for one game. That would be refs, which is well, a Formula say, Three game. I would say I would say there's there's more to the BBC than refs. I would say the, some of the top games on the BBC would be Elite, the space uh-huh. trading game by David Braben oh, and Ian yes. Bell. I mean, Elite is still around today as Elite Dangerous. I mean, yeah, that's right. yeah. You know, and, and David Braben is one of the leading lights of the UK games industry now, running yeah. Frontier Development. Um, you've got Revs is a, a game <laughs> by Jeff Jeff Crammond. A great game. I love playing it on the BBC. I love playing it on the C64. The only drawback with the original version on the C64 is you have to use an analog joystick. You can't use a digital joystick originally with it. The oh. hackers 
put that option in eventually. But well, Revs, Plus, Revs Plus then has extra tracks and a digital. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I always wonder which analog joystick can you use for Revs on the There's Commodore. two or three. The, um, there's the ones you can use from the um, Tandy TRS-80. They have a they have a nine pin port, hmm. so ah, because yeah. I I got I got um I got one from Joy King, but that doesn't really work. Yeah, hmm. you, you you have to find one that was made right back in those early eighties. You won't hmm. get a modern analog joystick to work with it now. No, yeah. it's not modern, but it's it's made for the Amiga. Oh, and no, despite... so I don't know if that one would work. Yeah, and that doesn't work. Despite yeah. it has the it's same, it has the same lines, Right, yeah. right. Yeah, so I have to ask you later in, in person, yeah. in private. Uh, yeah, so yeah, so BBC <laughs> Games, um, the one I'm particularly fond of on the BBC is the Repton series, which is uh, a lot like Balderdash, although when the first game was created, the creator hadn't actually played Balderdash. He'd just seen a picture of it in a magazine and created his own. So Repton is a lizard. He runs around a cave collecting diamonds and has to avoid fall- falling boulders, digs through the dirt. Sounds a lot like Balderdash, but yeah. That's a great series. Yeah. Uh, the Commodore 64 got a conversion of Repton Free, and that has a, uh, a, a screen, a map designer, and a, a graphic editor built in. So oh. you can redesign the graphics and make your own maps with it. And myself and my brother Chris, my older brother Chris, spent hours making maps with Repton Free. <laughs> we, we used to plot them out on, uh, on squared paper first, and then sit at the computer and put them in. So that was, that was something fun we used to do. So, yeah, so that's a, that's a good game that came across from the BBC and I mentioned Revs by Jeff Crammond. I mean Jeff was a, a genius programmer. You look at his back catalogue. Still, well, still is, still is. Um he's not done much recently, but you look you got you got Revs, you got um the Sentinel mm-hmm. the, the Sentry in the US. Um you got uh, Stunt Car Racer. Oh yeah. C sixty four Amiga. You got you then got uh, the Formula One Grand Prix games on Amiga. On, on a PC later. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I remember I remember F1 GP2, yeah. which was released on a PC in 96. Yeah. That was delayed for eight months. Mm. And me as a little teenager, I was impatiently waiting <laughs> for the final release. Yeah, I mean, it took eight months to... I mean, that was an order. It wasn't like pre-order, you know. It oh, was yeah. like normal order. It was like I was orders in Germany because the uh, mail trader said it was released, but it wasn't. Oh, in Nobby the Aardvark on the C64, that was nearly mm. a year late, and first Samurai was reviewed and was about to be released, and then, then um, Mirosoft went down, and that was nearly a year before that one came out for Ubisoft. So <laughs> it, it does happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I remember I remember that one and 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 the first part of of the um, of the um, Formula One Grand Prix those first one which also came um, on on Amiga and later on PC in '93 I think it was yeah '93 that actually had music from um, Dave Lowe yes which oh. we also interviewed a yes. couple of times yeah. Very, very much a classic. But it's interesting. Yeah, you, you mentioned elites, not only refs for the BBC Micro, mm-hmm. but I was, I've, I'm always dying for racing games. <laughs> so that's, of course, yes. my reason why the BBC Micro stands for it. Um, yeah. 
Yes, there was a uh, brilliant book released uh, last year, Acorn, A World in Pixels. I don't know if that's still available. And that's that's uh, that's a brilliant book for looking at the um, the history of the, the BBC Micro and the Acorn Electron and get, talking to loads of the programmers there. So that's an interesting one. I, I can't remember if I've done a, an unboxing on that one yet. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> you, you've, you have done a lot. You have done a lot. Yeah. But yeah, so... It's that's, amazing. That's something I've been working on sort of in the last couple of weeks uh, is my own YouTube channel, No Man 1974. Nice. We've, uh, we just hit 100 subscribers over there. I know. Yeah, you made a special video for it, yes. coded on the Commodore 64, right? Yes, with the um, firework, the complete computer firework celebration kit from Activision. It was it was a, a late night for, I suddenly thought, right, 100, 100 subscribers, how do I celebrate that? celebrate aha fireworks yeah so i thought that was a, a fun little twist to, to do something with the c64 to to celebrate it and yeah so and um i've done a load of stuff in the last week i've done some some new sort of strands to the to the channel which will be going online uh, at the time of recording there's a new video going live tomorrow um the first of the new merch stand strain so that will be interesting to see how that one goes down. Hmm. And there'll be more. There'll be more retro shelf for the books, and more unboxings and some gameplay stuff coming up soon. Yeah. So, wonderful, wonderful. So I want to go back to the early days a little bit because I'm kind of jealous okay. of the of the, the the UK scene that you guys mm. had. You know, because you had you had uh, you know the BBC. You had a a a, a really kind of cool like you had the bbc micro you had the spectrum you had the c64 mm-hmm. uh and you had cool services like um what's the uh oh compunet uh, yeah it was that compunet yes yes the online service yeah yes yeah cool services like that CompuNet. yeah 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 so i mean the what was the the, the national telecommunications mm-hmm. company british telecom um put the money into it so it was basically servers that were running just for for commodore 64 fans mm-hmm. Uh, central central database and in in a lot of ways it's a, 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 a it was a, a mini version of the web in that you you would have your own page and you could upload software to that page for other people to download mm. there was chat rooms there was you know there was there was up and down voting <laughs> yeah <laughs> nice nice but yeah so i mean yeah so quite a, quite a few of the uh the big name people in terms of the demo scene and the the programming the games programming scene were on compunet you could see stuff by jeff minter of Lamasoft. you could see stuff from the big demo groups you could see the new the new tune you could hear the new tune from rob hubbard see the new picture from the from the graphic artists on compunet mm-hmm. before it was then spread around on by mail yeah, in fact, uh, the uh, that trap demo from uh, oh, yes. uh, you know from from uh, the the, the oh, uh, Ash was that Ash and Dave or uh, no, it's uh, Tony yeah. Graver and Ben. Tony, Dabby. that's right, that's correct. Yes, yeah, it's, it's yeah. from from the game Trap. Right. So yes. Yes. Often known yeah. as the Gladiator demo. Yeah. Um, yeah. That... They then did a, a version of it, sort of promoting Compunet. Yeah. 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 Right. I remember getting. I remember seeing that and and being totally confused because I had seen the original Trap demo and then I saw this other one that's got all this text popping up about the about compunet like what the hell is this yeah i, I i'm guessing you guys have seen the recent uh, trapped again from from the gob data party mm, no i haven't yet? No, not yet. oh you not need to yet. check you need to oh, check oh wow yeah I, I, i'd put a link to that one in the in the description okay. because that's 
that's an absolutely amazing demo. It's a it's a modern remake of the trap oh, demo. Nice. Com- complete with remixed music and graphics. It's absolutely top notch. You have to nice. you have to send that to us. Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah, send yeah. you the link for that because uh, yeah. I, I reckon a lot of people would like to see that one. Yeah. Or, yeah. So yeah. So yeah. So CompuNet was you know was very big. Um, there's even a, a, a few stories. There's um, you can look it up on Facebook CompuNet Corner, mm-hmm. run by uh, Mike Berry who was on Colonel on CompuNet. Um, he uh, he's gathered lots of information over the years about CompuNet, and uh, you know the the software houses were actually using it to swap stuff around as well. So if they mm-hmm. needed to send files to each other, they'd use the the mailbox on CompuNet because it was faster than right. trying to dial into each other's company computers. Yeah, yeah. And we had we had QLink over here, you know, Quantum yes. Link, which was yes. sort of like a C sixty four only, mm-hmm. you know, network. But it well, wasn't. You see, you see, well, we're jealous of the fact you had Habitat oh. over there. Oh yeah, there Lucas, you go. The, the online game mm-hmm. with the avatars. Yeah, you know, I'd have loved to have played that back in the day. That would have been yeah. my back in eighty yeah. eight. You know, so. Mm. But yeah, yeah so, well, that got that got neutered pretty quick though, because yeah. by the time that I was there, it was Club Carib, and it was yes. just it was not yeah. not even half of what Habitat was. It was obviously yeah, QLink then became America Online AOL. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's where it all went wrong. <laughs> but but again, you had you know on 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 CompuNet, you had you know demo guys doing stuff, and it was like there was a, a big cool scene. Q-Link had more of it was it was more of like your average just you know your C64 user on there. There wasn't really if we made if there was a demo made by somebody on there, it was invariably or inevitably done by with a demo maker. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> Del- Deluxe Screen Maker Four, I think, was like was was real big. So it was always you know one of like three songs by by Rob Hubbard, you know, playing way too fast. <laughs> and and you know they would just kind of take a picture you know they did make a make a koala picture and just sort of stick that in there stick. and make write a scroll text and that was the entire and half the time it was it was an awful picture but you know that's that was what passed for demos in the U.S. Uh, on there at the time which was but then I like, think I think it must have been interesting too to have sort of people like like Jim Butterfield and that being online mm-hmm. on those message boards and talking to the talking yeah. to the fans talking oh, yeah. to the people directly mm-hmm. I mean I think that was you know. Commodore had their own sort of information network for a while on CompuServe yes. and this sort of thing. That must have been very interesting. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, they very would have the, the the auditorium rooms where you could go in and you know they they do a little presentation stuff. You know, I remember talking to you know sending messages to Jeff Jones from Lodestar. Oh yes. You know on that because he was on there as uh, I think his his green name was Future Tech or something. But uh, yeah, I remember talking to him over that and just being mm. completely like like awestruck by the fact that I'm talking to this guy, you know. It's different scenes for different parts of the world again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you also had there was another service that was over the TV as well, correct? Uh, I'm not sure which one you mean. Uh, it was like a graphical sort of. Oh, you're talking about uh, teletext. Or yes, yes, yeah. Uh, you had the teletext yes, system, yes, yeah, yes, which we yes. didn't have in the U.S. Yes, yeah. That's yeah. Um, on the the UK TV system, they're sort of what they call mm-hmm. the spare lines, right. uh, which are out of out of out of the normal display area, and they could send information like that. The they used to send software through that as well. You could have a mm-hmm. special decoder you could attach to the BBC Micro, the ZX Spectrum, and the the C64, and you right. could download information and and complete programs through that. Mm-hmm. And teletext was a, a great source of information about computer stuff. There was a regular um, on what we call Channel 4, which is an independent service, 
they had a, a service called Digitizer, and that was that was cool because that was that was funny. That was full of very puerile sense of humour. But they'd review the latest games and to- totally slate the one that everyone else likes. Um, mm. They'd constantly pick on the Amiga owners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Teletext but... we had here too in Germany. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. So, I but, mean, yeah, but, they, they... but never me because my family thought it's too expensive to get. So mm. we never, we never had it. Yeah, the guy, the guy behind um, the, one of the writers behind Digitizer, Paul Rose, aka Mr. Biffo, is still around. Still on. Um, it still, still runs a YouTube channel, which is sort of oh. diversified into very strange areas yeah. involving baked beans. I'll go. Okay. <laughs> well, if you if you if you want if you want to go down that particular rabbit hole, just search for Digitizer <laughs> 2000 or okay. or, or Beanus. <laughs> okay. I'll leave that one to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fascinating. You see, Paul Ro- Paul Rose also um, writes a regular column for for Retro Gaming Magazine here in the UK, mm-hmm. which yeah. is great fun. Yeah. Now, and conversely, despite the fact that you guys had these cool services and a much more like like a much more kicking scene than NTSC really had built up at the time, you a, a lot of a lot of uh, the UK and Europe also were kind of like hobbled by data set. Which yes, never was yeah. a thing that really took yeah, off in the UK. US. The UK was really held back by the speed of the by the mm-hmm. speed of the data set. I mean, the majority of users, well into the late eighties, were still using the the tape deck to, to load games. Right, and it, right. There's, there's there's sort of two reasons for that. Really, the disk drives were always horrendously expensive in the UK. Mm-hmm. The actual computer, when it first went on sale here, was three hundred and ninety nine pounds, which at right. the time would have been close to five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. exchange rate the disk drives started at 200 pounds so near enough 400 dollars. so if you're going to shout out for the computer it's nearly the same again to get a disk drive and right. discs right and commodore took the decision to crack down particularly in the uk here they cracked down on the people who are making the clone drives mm-hmm. so drives like the enhancer the msd the oceanic mm-hmm. they wanted them out of the market and so they got to the situation where the, the, the best deal then was to buy a, a, a computer and disk drive bundle direct from Commodore. Mm. And that's what, that was the decision my parents asked me in 92. Do you want to stick with a Commodore 64, get a new 64 and disk drive, or do you want to upgrade to an Amiga? And at that mm-hmm. point, I said, oh, I'll stick with a 64. I've got all this <laughs> software, got all this knowledge. I, I mm. stayed. That's, you know, that's, that's partly why. Yeah. I'm still a C64 fan, right? It's still the biggest machine in my life. Right. But you got your disk drive in 89. That's when I got my first drive. Yeah, that was a um, a 154 one, the original bulky mm-hmm. model. That had been in a, um, a, a TV repair shop. And it had been in a display model there. And mm-hmm. some, I saved up money from a paper round and my parents chipped in some money. And that was, I think that was about £100. So it was less than a, a new one at the time, but it's still a lot of money. And I say that's when I got Geos, that's when I started dabbling in music and machine code programming mm. around that time. See, I got my uh, my 1541, uh, it was the, the 2 model, you know, the 1541 2, yeah. the smaller one, which came as part of the bundle mm. with, um, I don't know how much it cost, it was a Christmas present for my grandparents, so... Oh. It came with the, the, the 64 and the, the disk drive and an amber monitor 
which yeah, that's which cool. hobbled, which yeah, which you know didn't didn't you know I don't see colors that great, so it didn't really <laughs> bother me too much until I realized like like at one point like I plugged it into a TV because I didn't have the monitor with me, and I'm like, wait a minute, like what 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 is this? You know, like I'm missing all this. Like I thought that that's what it was just supposed to look like because I knew nothing about the C64 yeah. when I got it. I just figured it was an orange screen, uh, and I didn't get but I didn't get my second drive for oh years and then it was just uh, I, I think it was like 40 bucks i bought it off of somebody from a bbs yeah. you know the, and and like we met in like some like weird like alleyway and it, <laughs> yeah it was a really weird like like i was making a drug deal but you know instead of he's handing me this giant disc drive <laughs> yeah yeah well, when, my, when my older brother chris went off to university he actually bought himself a, a, a new 64 and drive then mm-hmm. take off to, to university with him then yeah yeah, in my upgrade, you know, at one point I was looking at, uh, I, I really, I, I was really into the Amiga. Although they didn't, I knew nothing about it. All I knew, you know, there were these 10X catalogs that, you know, the Computer Express, it was mail mm. order stuff. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, they made it look really good, but you can't see what any of the games really look like because it's just a little black and white picture <laughs> the size of a postage stamp. <laughs> and I had saved up just enough money to get an Amiga 1200. You know, I was putting away lunch money from school and all that stuff, and I just saved up enough and coming around a business. <laughs> and and the catalogs weren't coming anymore. And it's oh. like, so, and around that time, too, uh, a friend of mine uh, said, hey, I got this old Commodore system. Do you, do you want it? I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll take it because I got to now figure out how to stretch out my C64-ing because at that point it was getting a little bit long in the tooth. This is like 96, mm-hmm. 97. And uh, it was a 128, and so my upgrade became a Commodore 128, which is <laughs> which is a huge, which is a major upgrade on yeah. the 64, and kept me going for another until 2001. I used that as my main machine. Yeah. So, so as I said, I got my, you know, I got a new C64 and just drive in '92. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, with the money I'd made from the the writing, one of the first things I did buy myself then was a Super Nintendo. Mm. In yes. 1994, um, saw an advert in the local paper. Uh-huh. I was was selling a, a snares with games and controllers and all this sort of thing. He was upgrading t- to this brand new thing called the Sony PlayStation. <laughs> he wanted he wanted to import one of these brand new Sony Playstations, uh, so he needed the money quickly. And I thought, yeah, mm. so that's good. So that was then really the start of what became my retro gaming collection. Then, yeah, because I'm already I'm already a generation behind. Right. <laughs> Everyone's right. going to the PlayStation. I'm going to the SNES. So. Yeah. And that's sort of, I've sort of repeated that pattern along the along the way. So when everyone else was, you know, when everyone else was, ah, oh, I'm getting the Xbox 360. I I shout out for an ex an original Xbox. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yurk, he said SNES. Yeah, I noticed that. I noticed that. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll 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 tell you something. I I still say it's I I say SNES because that's what I heard first on mm-hmm. TV in the UK. I worked on the um, Super Nintendo Anthology a couple of years, the big book from the French publishers. Right. Um, did hundreds of reviews for that and some interviews and features and all sorts of that. That's what paid for the new laptop I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, um, yeah, so while we were doing that, all the way through, every day it was, you must put Super NES, Super NES, every time you write it, it's Super NES. Yeah. So, yeah, so in my, in my head it still snares because that's mm. how I say it. But it should be Super NES. Okay. It's the Super. Well, we well, we always called it 
we always called it either just a Super Nintendo or or, or we 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 said SNES. That was the SNES. thing. That was, yeah, yeah. That's that's also how how we said it here in Germany. Yeah. SNES. The first time I heard it was on YouTube, when a twenty years old YouTuber was saying like, yeah, and by the way, the SNES. I was yeah. Like, oh, okay. We were like, what the what the SNES? Yeah. Yeah, it we turned into it, like this big thing. Like, no, who calls it the SNES? Like, the, the, the American Americans would say NES, wouldn't you? Yeah. The original. Mm-hmm. Family yeah. government Japan, NES in Japan. Well, in mm-hmm. in in Europe, because of the way we pronounce our vowels, a lot of people mm-hmm. would call that NES. NES. Right. So that's why it's then Super NES. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right. Makes, it makes sense. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yes, I mean, you know, as I said, as I referred to earlier, I've got quite a large collection now, about twenty odd different consoles and computers. Mm-hmm. Somewhere around, I think it's around ten thousand games now. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I know. When when I knew you, you were let's say like three thousand. Yeah. So that it's, number it's grew to, by now. It's it's close to ten thousand now with wow, wow. all the various handhelds and that sort of thing. Wow. Uh, I've got you know, I've got a little collection now of the 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 recent mini consoles. So I got the um I got the DTV when that C sixty four DTV mm. when that first came out, two thousand and five, uh, and I got the the C sixty four mini the the C sixty four full size. I got the um. I got the uh, not long got the uh, Core Graphics Mini, what was the mm. Turbo Graphics 16 in the states. So that was a that yeah. was a, a nice Christmas present. I got the just last Christmas. So uh, you're gonna you're gonna get the uh, the Mega 65 when it comes out. I'm torn at the moment. Um, <laughs> I've just I've just I just set up um, a Kofi page to try right. and fund my YouTube to get new stuff on my YouTube. And um, the goal the stretch goal I put on that at the moment is to get uh, an Ultimate 64 Elite. Mm. So I think that's I think that's what I'm going to go for first. I okay. am I was really tempted when they put up the first round of developer boards for the Mega 65 mm-hmm. for 300 thinking, euros, I think, and 800 cool. euros. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was 800. A lot 800. more would have been about. I think it'd have been about 600 pound, maybe even more for me at the time. But yeah. it was it was it was sorely tempting, but it's just the time factor to yeah. really really push into it. Whereas if I get the Ultimate 64, you see, because I'm doing things like the game testing and mm-hmm. music and that sort of thing, I, I think I'm going to get more use out of that. Right, right. But yeah, I'd love, I'd, I'd love the Mega 65 down the line because there's I, so I, much potential. Yeah, yeah, it's so much potential, and it's like one of those things where like I'm, I'm torn about it too because it's like there's, it can do so much, and yet there's no ecosystem for it at all. Like there's no software. I'm surprised you are torn. We interviewed those guys. I no 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 no. I love the machine and I totally want the machine. But it's it's one of those things where it's like there's there's no software written for it, and there needs to be a base of software to make it a useful machine. I think I think what they need to do is they look need to look at what's been happening with the Spectrum next, which is the next generation Mm -hmm. of the Sinclair machines. Yes, that has gone pretty quickly. They've obviously funded their second um, run of boards second mm-hmm. production run now on kickstarter in the last year unfortunately with the current global situation and supplies that's been yeah. delayed quite a bit and I've, unfortunately i think the same could happen to mega 65 mm-hmm. when that goes into production there could be quite a substantial delay to that coming yeah. um once they finalize specs and that sort of thing but that does then give people time to you know talk to the existing publishers out there and say mm-hmm. you know, are you doing a mega 65 label will you be doing you know and there's 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 a, there's going to be the support there. Sites like itch.io where you can find lots of 
great C64 downloads yeah, at the moment. Yeah. The digital downloads on there are fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to, easy to find stuff. I think there's going to be, you know, you're going to be able to get the Mega 65 stuff. It's just whether enough is then going to go back into, as you say, the infrastructure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, history is repeating there because we had a few uh, episodes back. We had Jerry Ellsworth in the interview who did um, DTV mm-hmm. and she said she received hate messages and stuff. Among among those, also a message from Vice Team saying, like, your DTV is not a real Z64, yeah, we'll never yeah. support it and stuff. And nowadays, there is the even Vice a team saying The Vice Team saying it's not a real 64 as they code their emulator for other machines. Right. And now nowadays, there is a DTV um, version of Vice. Yeah. yeah. I, I think... With the release. I think I could understand some of the well, not not. I, I don't understand the hatred towards it. I can mm. understand some of the antipathy towards the DTV in, right. in what it represents because it was a toy. Mm. It was sold through toy distribution channels from a toy company. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, it wasn't a serious product. But then, if you look underneath, <laughs> if you look underneath, yeah, the right. Word, if you'll pardon the expression. Um, Jerry put the connections on the board so you could wire in a keyboard and extra storage mm-hmm. and this sort of thing. So it was it was neither one thing or, or the other in the end. Right. right. Whereas the the full size C sixty four and and even increasingly the the C sixty four mini with the firmware updates that Retro Games Limited have brought forward, it's more and more practical. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a great way, It's a great way to just quickly play something yes for the yes. c64 whether that's an old game you remember from back in the day whether that's a new game they've added to the carousel whether that's something you've gone on a site like itch.io and bought the digital download mm-hmm. whack it on a usb drive stick it in the the mini or the the64 you're playing the game right yeah right. in that way that's very different to what the dtv was because it's a standalone unit right a standalone right. toy yeah that that first wave of i was commented on a video the other day about um one of these some of the some of the modern sort of plug and play consoles you can get the android boxes the super Mm. console x that sort of thing and how they horses for courses if you just want to load up an old 8-bit game that you remember playing yeah fine you can get a usb stick stick it in a hdmi Mm tape and play it if you're serious about emulation you want to put upscale it shaders all yeah, right. You go to a PC and emulate on that. You know, mm-hmm. you go to a, a computer and emulate on that. And again, the the that first wave of mini consoles, two thousand four, two thousand and five, the Atari Flashback had sort of the right idea, and it allowed you you could wire it so you could plug a real Atari car into it. <laughs> but they didn't carry it through. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It went further and further down the toy route. So you mm-hmm. get the, Nam- the Namco 6 one that is basically just a NES on a chip. Yeah, right. <laughs> Reprogrammed to, to do the, the classic arcade. The, the thing with the, yeah, the thing with yeah. the 64 that, that, you know, really kind of holds it back in my, in my view is the, is the lack of connectivity. Like it's not, it's a standalone yeah. unit. I can't plug a disk drive into it. No. You know, I can't plug an old joystick into it. You know, it's, it's yeah. USB. It's USB and there's, you know, one output for HDMI and there's no, I can't take a cartridge and plug it into it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is the problem in the original pitch, in the Mm -hmm. original crowdfunding pitch. They did 
overplay it and mm-hmm. say, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have all this backward compatibility in it. Right. And I think that 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 hooked a lot of people in. I think that was never realistic because right. of the problems right. of dealing with old hardware. Mm-hmm. You've got different voltages, you've got different connectors. Right. That was always going to be difficult to achieve. An edge connector for a cartridge sounds like a good idea, but we all know from our own experiences, <laughs> cartridges don't work a lot of the time. When right. you plug them. Yeah. So. Yeah, but, but, but on the Commodore 64, it was not such a big itch, issue like on on an NES. Got to do the old. Super <laughs> <NES or> Mega- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So yeah. You I know, the 64 they... was a lot more reliable, I think, than the NES and whatnot. If you, if, if, if you got a decent power pack. On yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, so I've, yeah, as I said, I think in the original camp, in the original funding campaign, they overplayed that aspect of it, mm. and down the line, that has meant people have not exactly felt disappointed with it, but have felt it didn't reach that potential. Mm-hmm. But as I say, with the firmware updates, with adding new games to the carousel, it's become you know it's become a, a really good product for the money. Yeah, I remember. When this Indiegogo was happening, we were the only people willing to interview Darren Mayburn. <laughs> and yeah. it was so important for him to do this interview. We did it during his Spain holidays yeah. over yeah. the yeah. phone. Mm. Yeah, well, see, he, was, he was part of Ironstone partners who were involved in the DTV and right. organizing the licensing for the games there right. with right. his connections. Right. And uh, then he, he came been doing a similar role on uh, mm-hmm. the C64 Mini in the full size and yeah. has been recently working with the uh, Anstream service mm-hmm. uh, for games on there. So, yeah. I know, I know. Now, I think for what it is, the C64 does a good job of, like you said, you know, if you want to just plug the thing in and play yeah. a game that you remember from way back yeah. when, that's exactly what it's made for. That's It does the job admirably, even if it's emulated, even if it's, you know, yeah. most people aren't going to notice that. Most people aren't going to notice... You know, one of the things that we found early on, uh, Jörg, you know, pointed out that um, the music like, was, was well. It was it was like the they beginning. they it was like they had frozen the uh, whatever game it is. Mm. So it's like you start it up and it like kicks <laughs> into like it's already in progress. You know, like the music right. has already started. Like it's already which it's is quite which possible. is it's, it's quite possible there. Yeah. That's that's what they did. Yeah. And that's something that we noticed and it drove us nuts. And, you know, we, we mess, you know, York sent emails back and forth to them. And I think they may have fixed it, but to the average user. A year later, a year later, yeah. Yeah, but to the average user. I got an instant message from, from Darren saying, um, iMessage. Okay, yeah. I, I remember iMessage because it's an iPhone. Mm-hmm. And, and he was saying, like, yeah, we thought about it. Yeah, and after right. a year, they decide to finally fix it. Yeah, now that's something that's something I found really interesting. Um, I remember when I got my DTV, and the first time I played it, one of the first games I played on it was speed, the original Speedball, mm-hmm. which is a great game. I love that. And I noticed there was a glitch on the score panel, and that glitch is exactly the same as if you run it on a real sixty-four. Right. So that um, that shows the emulation in the DTV is pretty good because mm-hmm. that it isn't glitch... really emulation, isn't it? Uh, isn't it implementation? Isn't yes, it, yes, it is. Yeah. Our, um, how it's called? Um, FPGA. Yes, FPGA. FPGA, yeah. right? Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, so that works really well, and you can see, and you can see the same in the emulation in mm. 
the mini and the and the, and the okay. new full size. So for a lot of games, the experience you'll get on the mini and the full size are are good enough. Are, are, right. are pretty accurate. Yes. And, and look, it's it's when you get down to you know perhaps some more unusual games or some of the more demanding games mm-hmm. that you're more likely to notice. Yeah. Oh, that's not yeah. quite right. Right. But it's using the Cluento emulators. Yes. It's using yes. Forever 64 yeah, because right. they even have the brands and the logos oh. on the box. Yeah. I noticed. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's licensed through because Cluento licensed the ROMs. So yeah. 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 Now I, I've heard some people talking about they they want a an API to actually get into the guts of the actual machine because mm. they would like to try to you know program things for whatever the actual hardware mm. of the the 64 yeah is. i mean and and it's like the, that's yeah pretty much the same happened with the dtv there was mm-hmm. a, for a couple of years there was a, a a really big scene in terms of hacking hacking the hardware right right and then actually getting demos and other games to run on it mm-hmm. so yeah so yeah um, it would be interesting if we you know we could unlock some of that extra processor speed in there and yeah see right what you could do right with. yeah right yeah put it like a super cpu mode in it yeah. or something you know that would be well, I think awesome. that might that might come eventually if you know but again you see the super CPU is something that suffered from the lack of support isn't it mm-hmm. so. yeah <laughs> yeah I but still it, use it to play test drive yeah yeah in because, certain ways the, it, the the super CPU I feel was more popular in the US amongst definitely. people that because yeah. here we had um, I feel like a lot of people in the US were diehards where mm-hmm they were going to use this machine until, you know, drive it till the wheels fall off kind of mm-hmm. thing. You know, it's like they were, they were dead set against using anything else. And you had, you know, a lot of the U S users were geos users. Yes. Uh, in which super CPU comes in handy That's with geos because amazing. it's, yeah, because it, you know, really speeds things up. I mean, just, I mean, just the 128 version of Geos is a thousand times better than the 64 version. It makes it so much more usable. Um, you know, just having 80 columns and yeah. just the two megahertz processor and whatnot and, and burst mode if you got those drives. Um, and that's where I feel like I saw the most use was from, was from older people that have been using this machine for mm. however long and were yeah. dead set on, on continuing to use it. And I, you know, I feel like there's, there is a shortage, you know, like we don't, we don't know how exactly how many super CPUs are sold. And I, I feel like there's so many super CPUs, like in someone's attic from mm-hmm. like, you know, like a family member that passed away because, you know, it was largely older, older gentlemen that use these machines. And like, like if we could track down all these estate sales where this stuff was being sold, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, cause that's where they all are. <laughs> You know, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, there is glut. this YouTuber that became infamous, Commander Kang, infamous, yes. Bayer, yeah, who, 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 who we actually had in our guest list, but then we found out that more and more people were saying that he's actually taking devices in for repair, but instead of repairing them, using them to to make clone devices yes. and selling them on eBay again. He, he makes the, uh, the um, uh, it's, it's like the fire drive there. There it's a, it's a, you know, the CMD thunder drive clone. and fire. Yes. Yeah, CMD yeah, clones. Right. And there's also a, uh, uh, an LT kernel clone mm. called the, yeah. um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's something, something ironic. Um, 
And, and what I've, what I've, what I understand is if you deal with him via eBay, if you buy one of his things, like, like the products are good, but apparently there is some controversy about like people sending things in and he's hanging on to it to try to retro engineer it or, or he uses parts from, from machines that he's fixed to fix other machines. Um, so I don't, I don't know exactly what the, you know, I, there, again, you know, if you deal with them via eBay, you're fine, but I, that's, I wouldn't want to, yeah, I, I, I would love one of the, 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 the CMD, you know, knockoff drives. They look great. They look awesome, but. But we heard also that Jim Prane is working on a super CPO clone. Yes, yes. I, I definitely have to write to him and see mm, if he's be, open yeah. for an interview. That, that would be interesting to see. Yeah, that might, yeah. That might make Jim something Prane, different. Yeah. Jim Prane is the one who got the rights to Chiffy uh, DOS. Yeah, right. Many people were surprised that there are new versions of Chiffy DOS. Mm-hmm. Because he's still patching the uh, Chiffy yeah. DOS thing. Yeah, yeah. Yes, indeed. I mean, there's lots of lots of stuff like that still going on. Yeah. Well, this is it. We've seen quite a few, quite a few different new devices this year. Things like mm-hmm. the Kung Fu Flash and uh, yes. that sort of thing t- turning up. True. So it's true. There's definitely still plenty happening in the Commodore yeah. scene. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I've been yeah. been testing some new games myself recently. Been uh, testing um, Solus Two, the Armor of Gods. Mm. That's nearly that complete. Looks good. That looks Ooh. good. That's it's great fun to play. There's been really some good. great games coming out. Some great so, hardware. Also, also Salt Cross um, oh, yeah. um, in it again. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember. I remember that interview. You were a part of that interview. I yes, remember. I was. Yes. And suddenly mm-hmm. he was like, "Oh, by the way, I'm not also working on recent games, but I also have been working in the '80s yeah. with yeah, yeah. and stuff in the same building." Yeah. And we were like, "Oh my God, that's super interesting! Can we do a second <laughs> interview for Retro yeah. Gamer UK?" Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's that was the only moment in my life. Where you figured something out you didn't know about a guest <laughs> yeah. before. Yeah. That never happened. Never <laughs> before. I remember when we had a second interview with um with a tech toy. Yes. I was totally sitting there listening how you and Stefano Arnold we're geeking about the old times <laughs> and, and, and the games and the stories of the industry with um with Mattel and all yes. that stuff. I was like, oh my god, I'm not totally not needed here. <laughs> well, that's why that's can do the can you can you you two can do the podcast. Those are the those are the best own. interviews where you can just kind of sit back and let the guests do their thing. That's well, why it's that's why it's fun. Guest. To, you, that's you why it's fun. Yeah, that's mm. why it's fun to do what I do, to you know, to, right. to write about it, to you know, to talk to people. I mean, you, you've spoken to Charles Martinet yeah. uh, just recently. Yeah. An amazing interview with him for Retro Gamer magazine, mm. and that's that's got to be up there, one of the most fun ones I've ever done. Yeah, because he's, do, he's, doing, he's doing he's doing the voices, he's, do, he's doing yeah. the you know, doing the characters, and, and going through you know, talking about how he got the job, and it's just. I just sat there for ten minutes listening to him when he talked about how he got the job as Mario. Yeah, he's yeah, one of the joy. like he's one of the most genuinely nice people on the planet, That's... and it's like he the the the, the, the joy that he feels just yeah. kind of comes through. Texas, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, the the best bit then was obviously editing that down for print because how mm-hmm. do you how do you get voices yeah. into 
Yeah. <laughs> so basically, basically had to put, you know, um, sing Super Mario theme in brackets or, <laughs> or uh, I'm hit uh, <laughs> in brackets. And I've got some great feedback on that one. So, uh, so it worked. <laughs> yeah, here's an interesting thing. I remember uh, we got the interview because uh, Christian Lauren back at back at the at at the day he was our webmaster and he did an interview for his Nintendo publication himself before. So I was like, hey, you have been interviewed by a team member before. Can we interview you for our podcast? And I think it was one of the earliest ones. It was yeah, um, it was pretty early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you've helped, you've and helped get a remember... couple of interviews as well. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've helped me get a couple of interviews as well. I mean, um, I did uh, uh, John F. Kutcher for Space Taxi. Mm. I got right. you know, off, you know, thanks to you passing on an email. So uh, yeah. right, yeah. Right. Some people are very difficult to get a hold of. Anyway, anyway, um, Charles Martinet was pretty easy because he wrote like within a day or something. Sure, we can do an interview. The problem was getting the time to do it. Yeah, he yeah. was number. Funny, he was number six, story. and he actually cut his his. He was at a convention and he cut it short to come talk to us. Right. Yeah, he yeah, left he early. That. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. yeah. No, it's quite funny. Um. I I made a mistake when I was scheduling the the, the interview with Charles. Um, I put down uh, Thursday the twenty sixth, but I meant um, Friday the twenty sixth. So I'm sitting on Skype at the time we've agreed on on the Thursday, and I messaged him, you know, are you ready? And he said, I thought we were doing this tomorrow. I said, Oh, have I got the date wrong? He said, Yeah, it's tomorrow. I'm in the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> He's about to go on a tour of the of the Vatican. Oh, dang! <laughs> because I mean that was that was lucky timing. He was he was in yeah. Europe on a promotional tour, so uh, mm-hmm. we managed to, managed wow. to hook up and less of a time difference to to talk to him. So, <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I remember one question I asked: like, don't you hear often that playing video games makes lonely? And then he was saying like. Um, no. Why should make it lonely and unsocial? I mean, you have you have cosplay and all that stuff, and it's uniting people because they all have the same hobby and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. and a year and a day later on that same convention, because it was in Denmark, it was a couple of days. He said, like in the panel, he said, like you know, yesterday I was asked in another interview if I don't think that. This video game hobby makes lonely and, and social. It was like, oh my god, he picked up the interview question from our podcast and he remembered and he <laughs> quoted the question the next day in the panel and it's on YouTube. Yeah. And I was feeling so proud. Like, well, I mean, oh my god. That's the thing. If you you know, if you're talking about video games as a hobby, the you know, this sort of stereotype image of the person on their own. Right. I don't think it's true anymore. Not at all. I don't, you're not on your own as a gamer. So much of no. gaming is online. You're communicating with other gamers. So much of the culture around gaming is online or mm-hmm. meeting in real person at conventions and events. Not, and expos. not at the yeah, moment. Yeah. But not at the moment, well, obviously, with uh, the current situation. But even well, I mean, there, there's still virtual stuff. like you exactly, know. exactly, yeah. The big events have you know, held, held virtual things. Yeah. And, uh, I know that I know some are planning to go back to to live events later this year. Right. Uh, Gamescom this year about... is still going to be Gamescom is still going to be virtual. You should join mm. us for Gamescom this year. We'll have to we'll have to see if I can 
find some time to yeah, do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you'd be awesome. You'd be awesome. I mean, to have that. I mean, this year it's a change compared to last year because mm-hmm. this year there's only one slot. Yeah, and all the other things we will do is virtual booth. Yeah, right. right. Yes, that right. means we don't have any fixed time. You you can yeah. come in whenever you like. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, pretty, pretty That's straightforward. It's gonna be interesting to see how that works out. Yeah. Like, what, and, what do we do? Just like kind of sit there at the computer and wait until someone comes along. Yeah. No. Well, the, the, yeah. Details, the details will come in end of next week. So. Okay. Okay. I'm waiting for the big email from Sven. Answering all our questions that we collect and sent in. But you see, you know, even even in these difficult times, we can still connect with other gamers. We can yeah. still yeah. interact with We can still wait for the same new games to come out mm-hmm. and talk about them or trash them before they've even right. been played. Right. <laughs> but but I think but I'm think I'm one of the few crazy ones that actually went to you know, UK, okay, USA, not such a big deal. But actually, I went to Peru. <laughs> and people were like, don't go to Peru. It's dangerous and stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure nobody will kill me. And it's a demo. I was I was around with demo sceners for three weeks. If if I get killed or something, at least somebody will, will point it out to the demo scene. And the, and the <laughs> irony is that is that he really did get killed when he was there. No, <laughs> we're, we're, on, we're talking to his ghost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, to, to we, 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 re, we recast him. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, well, um, I think it's awesome, and and really hope I really hope that next year um, there will be a physical games come again. Yeah, yeah, but, that but, would be nice. Well, I mean, I mean, I honestly I doubt it. I think I think. Um, there will probably be a, another wave happening. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll have to see what happens this winter. Could be quite serious this winter. Oh, yeah. but uh, well, I mean, we're already seeing it increase again mm-hmm. because people that have their vaccines think, I can take my mask off and just go out and be in public. And well, they're getting see, sick. You know, I, I had to shield for most of last year mm-hmm. because of my health issues, because of the medication I'm on. So, I mean, I'm still being careful with the mask and that. I'm not. I'm not planning to go to any events, even you know, if, even if they are happening this year. So, right, and right. and and UK actually is the prime example of one of the first European countries opening everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and many yeah. Americans tell me like, "Why do you worry? The pandemic is over." No, it's, it's not. not. It's not over. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I don't. I don't want to get into politics here. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You well, guys I, are are suffering from much of the same problem that we suffered with. Yeah, well, you had I, you had your own I Trump. Know, mm. I know that you didn't vote for the wrong thing, <laughs> because I know you well enough. Yeah. Oh, well, we, we got a bit sidetracked here. We did. Yes. So, um, That's what. So anyway. What else is new? That's, yeah. So, is this, so anyway. is this where is this where we sign the red flag and threaten to overthrow everything? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean. I mean, I mean, I was actually just talking to you about it before the recording. Um, I actually find it fascinating that um, when we did this this um, interview with um, Commodore Italy and stuff like six mm. years ago, that suddenly it's becoming important. And perhaps, perhaps down the road, your books, Andrew, will become important. I think they already are. 
I think they uh, already yeah. are important. But I'd, I'd like to think so. I, you know, as I hope that that's, you know, that's why the first one was written to was to try and catalogue some of the interesting games. Maybe not the mm-hmm. most well-known games. Maybe not the best games. It was a a long process, whittling down a huge mm-hmm. spreadsheet of games. Obviously, by that time, what fifteen, twenty thousand Commodore sixty-four games have been released. We've had thousands more since. Mm-hmm. I mean, Game Base is now Game Base sixty four is now over twenty five thousand games. Um, that's a lot of uh, games. That's something like over the last twenty years, it's six thousand games oh. been released. So yeah, so we're still seeing new games being developed. We're yeah. still seeing lots of fascinating new ideas pop up every now and then people looking to old machines for inspiration the atari 2600 conversions we've seen quite a few of recently mm-hmm. looking to modern machines and doing d makes you know mm-hmm. um, full collars games over the last 10 years have been absolutely fantastic games like yeah. cannibal luft rousers he's now doing spelunky on the c64 i mean <laughs> who would have thought you'd see that on the Commodore 64 i mean that's just going to be incredible can't wait to play that one myself so yeah, yeah so down the line you know writing a book about Commodore 64 games. Yeah, it's great that I did it, but mm-hmm. we need a sequel now. We've got Absolutely, another, we've got absolutely. Another, we'll have another 15 years worth of games to, to look back, well, more than 15 years of games to look back to because there's quite a few of the games between 1994 and 2007 I didn't cover. Right. I f- think deserve a place mm-hmm. in the second book. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. So, and then the third book, you know, you're going to have to pick up from 2007 because there's been some big games since, I mean, Sam's Journey since then. I mean, come on. Well, you know, no, you Sam's, Sam's, Sam's Journey will be in volume two. Oh, okay. You see, it's going to go up to 2022, the second Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, which so it's going to go up to 2027. It's actually coming out to the NES soon. Yes. Yeah, really? Yes, they're yeah, working it's on the gonna, NES conversion. It's not going to be as good as the 64 version. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be similar, it'll be slightly different. Yeah, be interesting to see you know how that turns out. But yeah, mm. so yeah, so definitely yeah, down the line yeah, I'd like people to look back and say yeah, this is a this is a a good representation of what the Commodore sixty four could do. Some of the mm. interesting, varied, unusual, memorable titles. Yeah. If your personal favourite isn't in there, start a protest. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> get it in the book. No, merman at seaworld dot org. <laughs> 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 No, seriously, seriously, I've, I've, I have spent a lot of time over the last year looking at online threads, looking at various places to see what people consider the best games of recent years to try right. and narrow it down. I mean, I've still got to narrow it down from the list I've got now mm-hmm. and working out how to do it, which will be similar to the first book in that if you mention game A, you can then say in the, the notes, the trivia about it, you say they also did game B. Right, so you've got right. two in the one entry. And so. here's one thing I really love about you. You are putting a lot of effort in getting facts right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm 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 really um discussing that with H A a lot. There are a lot of people on YouTube and on Facebook, especially in the Facebook C sixty four groups, who think they are experts <laughs> and are totally um 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 saying bullshit. Like 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 a few weeks ago, I've I've seen a discussion about like the MP the um MP the Commodore MPS eight o two printer doesn't print graphics. Why? <laughs> and then there 
then and then some somebody, somebody replied like I'm I that's 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 strange because that was the graphic model of the Princey series. The eight oh one was the one that was for letter. I'm like, no, that's not true. It's exactly the other way around. <laughs> the MPS eight oh two didn't have a graphic mode, but in Geos it had a driver that yes. was mimicking a graphic mode by printing back and forth a couple of times yes, over the yes. same line. And so the 801 and the 803, which is the successor of the 801, are both the graphic mode printers of the MPS series. Yeah. And of course, the uh, the printers that Commodore sold back then, they didn't actually manufacture themselves. They bought in from other manufacturers and put right, a Commodore right. badge on. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. I mean, I mean, I mean... Here in Germany, the Star LC twenty uh, NL yes. was yeah. very famous, mm-hmm. and this printer actually had a cartridge port where you could se- uh, buy separately a Centronics interface right, yeah, for yeah. the sixty four and stuff. <laughs> yes, yeah, you could get you could get them you could get them with the the Commodore serial IEC port, mm-hmm. or you could get them with the the standard right. Centronics, yeah. Yeah. yeah, star. Right. Yeah, I had a, I had a couple of star printers. Well, I bought right. I bought I bought a star um, uh, LC10 secondhand, and it came. It was broken in the post. Wow. Oh, it was annoying. So when it got to me, it was broken. But then uh, when I was writing for the magazines, the the one that did a lot of the printing out to send stuff in articles into the magazines was a star LC200, oh. which I bought brand new. <laughs> wow. My first printer was a was a was a, a blue chip D. 10 12 uh, daisy wheel printer yeah, it was cool. such a disappointment such a horrible yeah. disappointment but yeah. but i ended up pro- uh, coding or programming a, a little program that would allow me to print out graphics by oh. just using the period yeah. and i wore <laughs> out so many so many daisy wheel discs just by like <laughs> repeatedly hitting that period and to make like a really rudimentary dot matrix printer yeah you see, that's the that's the spirit of experimentation that keeps yeah. things alive, that keeps things going, isn't it? You try yeah. and do something with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember. You try to print I, out a full page graphic. You're sitting there for about three hours while that thing goes. I saw something really cool on the web the other day. Someone has put up a page that allows you to simulate the print shop on an Apple II. Ooh, nice. And so you can you can go in, you can type in the text you can choose your graphics use all the options that are in the original program mm-hmm. it looks exactly on, on screen it looks exactly like the original program and at the end of it you get a pdf out to print awesome, so you, can awesome. Do, you, can, you can do your banners and your posters that's and nice. your greetings cards in the classic print shop. that's cool i actually still awesome. use the print shop fairly yeah. regularly with this you know i've got an mps 803 printer oh nice one Nice yeah, song. it's under already so you've got, a bunch of books. You've got the successor of the 801 which is yes. traffic right right we've got wow it's we've almost got, exactly uh, yeah. the same as the 801. We've got a Christmas banner yeah, I printed as on. As I said, yeah, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a successor Pretty of sure. the 801. But but yeah. I was like, man! And, and it was not only one person. It was like three people, yeah. you know, yeah, going was... down the rabbit hole, making it worse and worse and yeah. worse. And I, I, will, like... I will say this on, on the subject of getting things right. This is one <laughs> thing the ebook version of the original book is going to allow me to do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Good, good. Yeah, right. There's yeah. there's three pages. There's three pages I'm not happy with. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, but then I have to admit I'm not expert enough to not to not. Uh, so I didn't notice it. 
<laughs> well, this is this is the thing. It's it's because I've actually met one one of the people involved, mm-hmm. and I've interviewed one of the others, so I know the facts direct from the people themselves. Ooh, now. Nice. So nice. draw a line under it. It's corrected in the ebook. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, so that's being that's being um, proofread at the moment. So awesome. So people should get that as well, if, even if they have the original book. Oh yeah, you've got it. You know, it, it, as an actual thing, you yes. should get the PDF version as well. Yeah, get the, the PDF version. We're, we're we're making some some. There's some slight tweaks to the design as well to make mm-hmm. it more readable. And, so that uh, means you have to send me a lot of uh, links. Oh yes. After Lots this conversation, as we spoke to so much things. We have like gone through quite the a trap bit. demo remake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The the um. Print shop. Yeah, the print shop one. <laughs> Emulation. Yeah. I'll get those. I'll get those in. The, yeah. the future book page URL. Yeah. The, yeah. So, yeah, it's not, so it's not up yet, but it's, that's in the works. So. Well, yeah. well, when are we going to release this? Uh, yeah. The ebook I'm hoping to get out by the end of the year. Okay. Nice. Um, I, you know, a lot depends on how you know how other projects are going. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the ebook will be out by the end of the, this year. And as I say, I'm aiming for August 2022, the 40th anniversary of the Commodore 64, to get this the second book. Okay. And and the second book um, paper version is coming out in a year. You said August yes. next yeah. year. August, August 2022. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So that means that means I'm looking forward to that and to yes. 20 years more of Scene World. Part yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, you know we'll need to we'll need to have a follow up podcast about the book in August yeah. of 22 when it comes out. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, definitely. So mark it I mean, down on our I calendars. Mean, I mean, I mean now, now, now that um, Apple Podcasts actually changed the limit from from 200 episodes per podcast to 400 and i think now it's to a thousand we oh, are right. safe for the next 10 yeah, years yeah we can continue so yeah so we're gonna we're gonna celebrate the 50th birthday of the commonwealth 64 yeah. as well yeah. exactly <laughs> i mean i mean seriously i mean that's an issue yeah. because originally i worried we would have to do a, another podcast because the feed is getting too big hmm. <laughs> Well, actually, we are too active for yeah, some technical limitations. Yeah, that's the thing. And, well, and I'm so glad that you are a part of it since so many years and kept on doing, despite health issues, you know, family, now having a real family and well, stuff. Well, you know, I've always family. considered, you know, as far as like the, the hierarchy of this uh of this magazine goes, you know, I've always considered Jurg and you to be the, the, the managing editors, you know, that's, <laughs> you guys are the main thing. And, and the rest of us are just kind of, you know, are the associate editors or, or, you know, contributors or something. But, but, but in my brain, it's always been Andrew and Jurg are like the main guys. Well, I'd, we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have seen well without everyone involved, without right, the mix of people. Right. It's yes. the mix, it's the mix True. of, people together mm-hmm. and that's what makes it happen and right i mean, I mean we, have, we have 19 people how many retro groups have 19 people from all over the world from china peru and uh, you know you south from uk um i don't that's, know any that's that's how you represent the world you get the world involved exactly <laughs> I mean, yeah yeah 
I honestly, I honestly don't know any other uh, group. I mean, I mean, like as I said, AJ, you said once like vandalism wouldn't vandalism wouldn't be having a podcast like right. us. Exactly. Or vandalism wouldn't have their own Wikipedia entry. Mm-hmm. Because they are a demo scene. Right, right. They're focused like, on a very, very narrow. You know, this exactly. is they're we, focused we on a on a topic. We are all over the God's green earth. We do everything. Yeah. The podcast. I mean, we've we've talked to people that I never. Do you, Andrew? Do you remember years ago? I sent in. I, I sent a file to you and to Jurg about doing a podcast, and it was just kind yes. of a. You do remember that? Yeah, I remember. I remember. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because he doesn't. Remember Europe doesn't remember so that. Yeah. No, I don't yeah, I remember. It. Yeah. yeah, and it was I pretty. Thought, I thought. I thought then that was pretty forward thinking. That was pretty forward looking to suggest it because that was when podcasting was really in its infancy. Mm-hmm. People were people were were trying to work out what it meant. I mean, we've yeah. seen in recent years we've seen this explosion in content and this definitely huge change in how it's perceived. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you if you, initially I was skeptical about it, but having seen how you've gone about it and how it's grown, it totally makes sense because yeah. again, it connects so many of the topics we're interested in, right, so right. many of the topics that people out there are interested in. Mm-hmm. Because you can't have a podcast without having an audience. You need an right. audience, <laughs> and it's clear there's an audience to Scene World because mm-hmm. they're listening. How yeah. how did we get listed into Amazon slash Audible <laughs> podcasting directly? Well, I think, because uh, Amazon wrote to us. Yeah, like, well, I hey, think we that are the... starting this. We are starting this secret podcast um, directory. Please yeah. don't tell anybody. But we want you to be listed at the mm-hmm. start. And well, my first thought, like, is this phishing attack? To fish my login data? Well, I, I think that the, the demo that I sent in originally is a lot different from what this ended up being. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. You know, I, I think remember. that, yeah, I, I think that at the time it was kind of like, yeah, uh, I don't know about it. Like the response, we were just sort of like, you know, I don't know about this. But, 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 you know, ultimately, you know, it was just a, a, a test and it was, you know, way different from what this final thing was. Yeah. Yeah, but, because. Because I remember you, you, you said like no, it will be just the two of us talking, yeah. and I said no, I want two segments. I want a guest and a news section. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You see, you see, you, 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 you learn as you go along. You pick mm-hmm. up the skills. You, you, know, you, you find the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The original idea was just kind of like recapping, recapping the news in the magazine in mm-hmm. in a version that is audio, and then. And then when I got the the mic, I kind of just wanted to the the original idea that I put forward to to Jurg was just kind of like you know just us you know bullshitting for you know an hour or so, and he's like, no, I want let's let's get guests, let's get all this really expanded into things like I was I was figuring let let's try it out and you know start small and then maybe we can expand, and he was already like, no, we'll start out big and you know. Skip the start so out I, small bit. I, I, was always, immediately, I was always the guy starting out yeah, big. Yeah, immediately <laughs> jump to, you know, jump to, to um, uh, Lars Sabirai and stuff, you know? Yeah. That's so, so, me. So when, do, so when do we start solving the true crimes? Yeah, that's the that's the next. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I mean, I mean, that is how we started the disc mech, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how we started the disc mech. We started issue one, full force into NTSC Paul. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> that is why that is why it took from November twenty twenty, uh, 20 uh, no from November year two K mm -hmm. till till um no I think I think how much how long did it take? Well, it took two four months, right? From from November twenty um. Well, from November 2000 to February 2001, four months from from first concept to final issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Before I was always back. the guy that would go yeah. big and maniac. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. Well, I mean, that's yeah, which which worked out because it's it's been a great a great run that we are still continuing. You know, we're couple you know we're over a hundred in and and the format has worked and right and now we got the big intro yeah and, and really it all stemmed from you know i got a microphone at a at a thrift store and said hey let's do a podcast because i want to play with the microphone <laughs> i don't know what else to do with it <laughs> well it's been it's been great fun being the guest tonight yeah Thank you. I'd like you to be a co-host a lot more often. I yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to find some time to do that mm. and get in there, get some interesting interviews in there. Yeah, yeah. Bring bring my perspective to it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, guys. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, Thanks for sitting with us. Night time for me. It's yeah. almost yeah. bad time for yeah. Andrew. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. So you know, best of luck with Gamescon. I, I hopefully yeah. I can uh, be involved there. I somehow. hope you can as well. And. Uh, yeah. Right. Whoa. Whoa. Getting dark and it got here. dark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Keep. Uh, oh. Yeah. Just, just, I don't know what's happened there. What happened? <laughs> electricity went out. No. No. Electricity's not gone out. The lights. I haven't got the light on in here. But... Don't. Ooh, it's gone dark. I don't know what's happened. Anyway. Oh. I think it's the webcam. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Webcam. There you go. Yeah. Because <laughs> we've gone nearly two hours. So. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Yeah, right, so. Well, yes, we'll put links to all the things that, for you down in, in the podcast description so people can check that out and and follow along at home. Right. And uh, thank you for sitting with us, sir. No problem. Take thank care, guys. you. <laughs> <laughs> Battery getting low. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye.